Hello and welcome to the Beach House 34 True Crime and Paranormal Podcast. This is the reading of the Darley Routier trial testimony, and we are on part eight. We are continuing day four of the trial, which occurred on January 9th of 1997. If you've been listening up to this point, you already know the background behind the story. Uh, If, however, you do want to start from the beginning, uh, this would be especially helpful if you'll be on an extended road trip because it will take almost probably the entire time you're on the road. I will have all of the links to all of the episodes so far in the show notes. Now, today we're going to hear from Christopher Wilgus. He is an ICU nurse and was on duty the morning of June the 6th. Uh, Next, we will hear from Phyllis Jackson, who is a corporal with Baylor Hospital System Police Department. And then finally, in this episode, Jody Kotner, the trauma coordinator on duty the morning of June the 6th. Now, to give you an overview of the players, I'll quickly go over some of the names so that you're familiar with them. The main prosecuting attorney is Assistant District Attorney Greg Davis. He is the lead attorney at trial. Other attorneys that are assisting him are John Vance, Toby Shook, Sherry Wallace, and John Grau. The lead defense attorney is Doug Mulder, and assisting him are Richard Mosty, Curtis Glover, and Preston Douglas Jr. Now, other attorneys do show up uh, from time to time that are relevant to the case, but it's not very often. So, but when they do appear, I will let you know who they are and what their purpose is. Now, the trial, as mentioned, has been moved from the Dallas area to a place called Kerrville, Texas. With all of that said, we begin with the testimony of an ICU nurse on duty the morning of June 6th, Christopher Wilgus. And the questioning begins with one of the prosecuting attorneys, Mr. Toby Shook. The court asks the witness, spell your last name, please. And the witness says, W-I-E-L-G-O-S-Z. And the court then asks, okay, what is your full name? The witness says, oh, Christopher Wilgus. The court says, okay. Mr. Toby Shook then begins his questioning and says, it's pronounced Wilgus? Wilgus, yes. Okay. Now his direct examination uh, begins. And Mr. Toby Shook starts off with the question, okay, how are you employed, sir? I'm employed at Baylor University Medical Center as a nurse in their two ICU intensive care units. Okay. Tell the jury your educational background and professional training for the position that you hold. I have a bachelor in science from Pennsylvania State University in healthcare administration and a bachelor of nursing from the College of Misericordia. I have been employed at Baylor since June of 1994 as a nurse. And what particular section of Baylor are you assigned? It's second floor Roberts building, the cardiothoracic vascular intensive care unit. Okay. And tell the jury what your duties are there. 
Primarily, our duties are to take care of the critically ill patients that have open heart surgery or vascular type surgery. It's primarily a post-operative intensive care unit, which is where they would come following any procedure that would be cardiothoracic or vascular in nature. Sometimes if there's an overflow or something like that, do you receive other patients? That's correct. Occasionally, we may have a bed that's open and we can receive overflow patients from some of the other units that would normally receive a trauma patient or any other what they call off-service patients, something we don't normally see in that particular unit. Okay, let me turn your attention back to June 6th, 1996 and ask you if you were working on that date. Yes, I was. I was working 7 p.m. until 7 a.m., the 5th through the 6th. Okay, so you started on the 5th and we're going through 7 a.m. on the 6th. Correct. Okay, let me ask you if you received a patient that morning by the name of Darley Routier. Yes, I did. Okay, about what time did you receive her? It was approximately five o'clock on the 6th. Okay, so that's about five in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. Okay, did you see her? Do you see her here in the courtroom today? Yes, point her out, please. She's seated right over there. The woman here in the green plaid dress. Yes. Mr. Toby Shook then says, Your Honor, if the record could reflect, the witness has identified the defendant. And then the court says yes. And he then continues his questioning. Was she one? I guess she wasn't one of those patients that you normally receive. Is that right? And that is correct. I had a, what they call an available bed. Normally, we are assigned two patients per nurse and I had an available bed, which meant that I was to receive any emergency or trauma victims or something that the other ICUs could not accommodate because they were full at that time. Okay, what was her condition when she arrived on your floor? They brought her into my unit again, approximately 5 a.m. And at that time, they brought her in on a bed from the OR, the operating room. At that time, she was awake, alert, oriented. Okay. Now, in your particular section, do you have a lot of patients you deal with or do you just have one or two? In that particular case, she was the only patient that I had at that time. Okay, so your total attention is devoted to her at that time. Correct. Okay, was she the type of critically ill patient that you usually take care of? Not what we would usually see. No, I would not have considered her a critically ill patient. Okay, and you say she was alert and awake. Is that right? Correct. As she had come out of surgery. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, how alert was she? I mean, did she answer your questions? Yes, answered questions. Appropriately was aware of where she was, approximately what time it was that she had just left the operating room. Again, was answering questions appropriately. Okay, now you've seen people that have suffered the effects of anesthesia. Is that right? Yes, very frequently. Okay, that's something you deal with every day? Mm-hmm, okay. 
do different people react differently? They do, yes. Some people may not respond as well to the anesthesia. Some people do. It just depends on the individual's makeup and chemistry. Okay, some people come out of it pretty quickly. Yes. Okay, how about Miss Routier? How did she appear to you? Was she under the effects of it at all? No, not as far as I could tell at that point in time. Okay, she seemed alert and lucid completely. Okay, what did you do once she arrived in the room? What were part of your duties? Well, the first thing we do when a patient arrives is we connect them to our monitoring system that we have, which monitors the heart rate. And in her case, she had an arterial monitor that we connect to our monitors also. So the first thing I did was connect her to our monitors to establish that her vital signs were stable and then to do a head to toe assessment on her. Okay, what's a head to toe assessment? Where you, well, initially you will look at their neurologic stats and then you will go through the different body systems and assess if there's any difficulties or problems with them. Okay, did you find any problems with her at all? Nothing other than the surgical dressings that she had was out of the ordinary. These IVs, what arm were they in? She had IVs in her left arm and she had an arterial monitor in her left radial artery. Could you point on your wrist where that is? It's inserted right here in this area here. And what that is, is that is a direct monitor of blood pressure. It's a small catheter that they insert into the radial artery. And then we connect it to our monitors and it directly monitors blood pressure through the catheter. Okay. Do you also, she had a dressing on her. Is that right? Correct. She had a dressing on her right neck, right up in here. And she had a dressing on her right forearm. Okay. Did you look over her or assess her for wounds? Things like that. Yes. Did you see any other injuries? on her other than where the dressing was. No, I did not. Okay. That's something you carefully check for? Yes. Okay. Did she talk to you while you were making your assessment? Yes, she did. Okay. Now, were you asking her questions? No, I did not. Okay. You were just going about your business? Mm-hmm. Okay. What comments did she make to you? The first comment that she made was she stated, how could anyone do this to my children? Just kind of an unsolicited rhetorical type question. How could anyone do this to my children? You didn't ask her how she was or what happened, anything like that? No, I did not. Now, did you know what had happened? Why she was in there in the hospital? I was just aware that she had, she was involved in a trauma, but the extent of which and the particular circumstances I was not aware of at the time. No. Were you aware that her children had died? I was aware that her children, at the time, I was under the belief that both of her children had come into the ER and that yes, that they were both dead. Okay, well, did this cause some concern for you? 
it did, especially before I received her because I did not know what she was aware of. I did not know if she was aware that both of her children were dead or what condition they may be in. I had no knowledge of what she would be aware of and was unsure what condition mentally and emotionally she would be in when I received her. So I was somewhat concerned as to how I was going to deal with that situation when she came into the intensive care unit. Okay, did she make some other comments to you? She did. Again, she stated several times, how could anyone do this to my children? And at one point in time, she also stated aloud that she had picked up the knife after the attacker dropped it and she was concerned that maybe her fingerprints had obscured the attacker's fingerprints. And she was, again, kind of questioning whether she should have done that or not. Okay. Now, when she made this statement about picking the knife up and obscuring fingerprints with her prints, had you asked her anything about the incident? No, absolutely not. This was just an unsolicited response to you. Yes, it was. Now, was she just awake and alert at this time? Yes, she was just not in some type of shock and just droning on and on in her sleep. No, no, not at all. It wasn't a consistent, she wasn't speaking consistently. This took place over maybe a matter of the first half hour or 40 minutes that she came out. Because again, initially I do my assessment and then I've got my paperwork that I've got to do, which I kind of stepped away from the bed at that time and filling out my paperwork and back and forth between the little table we do our paperwork on and the bed many times through that initial half hour or so. So it wasn't a continuous dialogue that she had. She would just make these comments periodically, periodically. And where's your desk when you're working at it? Again, it's more or less a bedside table that we use. And it's within maybe six or eight feet from the bed. Okay. Do you recall when she says, quote, I picked the knife up. I wondered if I obscured the fingerprints. When she started wondering about that, did you answer her in any way? No, I really, you know, I had nothing to say. I couldn't. There was absolutely no response that I could give her. The only thing that I did say was, quote, that I'm sure the police will do whatever they can. Okay, did she ask for or complain of any pain? She did. Again, after she was in the intensive care unit for approximately 45 or 50 minutes, she was complaining of some pain to her right neck and her right forearm and asked if she could have some pain medication for that. Okay, right neck and right forearm. Right. Are you talking about the injury that was cut? Right, where her injury was. Okay, did she complain of pain anywhere else in her body? No, she did not. Okay, did you give her any pain medication at that time? No, I did not. I was informed that the Rowlett police wanted to speak with her. And so I called my administrative supervisor who had been in contact with the police to find out if she knew when they may be coming up to question her or speak with her. I was concerned 
that I was going to give her some pain medication and it was going to make her very lethargic or sleepy when they came up to speak with her. So I contacted the administrative supervisor. She said that the Rowlett police would be there in approximately 10 minutes. And they, at the time, I believe were down in the emergency room. I'm not too sure, but they did not come up in the 10 minute period. And then she complained once again of pain. We normally have a pain scale, so we have some way of quantifying how much pain patients are actually experiencing because everyone experiences pain a little differently. And we usually ask people to grade it on a one to five scale. And she graded her pain on about a three on a one to five scale. Then at that time, I did administer some pain medication to her, a very small amount. What type of pain medication did she receive? She received Demerol, 25 milligrams, and Phenergan, which are two drugs we use. They work together very well to relieve pain. Okay, did you give her a large dose? I actually gave her a very small dose. The normal dose, they give you a range of normal dosages with most drugs, and then the lower range for Demerol is usually about 50 milligrams. And I gave her half of that, which was 25 milligrams. So she received a very small dose. And I gave that to her with the intention that since her pain was not a real high level, that it would take the edge off if she was experiencing any pain, but would not completely subdue her or make her lethargic or sleepy. Okay. You wanted her to be alert when the police were coming to talk to her. Yes. When you gave her the medication, was she alert? Yes. Okay. And were you present when the investigators from the Rowlett Police Department came and talked to her? Yes, I was. Okay. Did she remain alert throughout that interview? Completely. Okay. How close were you to the officers when they were interviewing her? At times, I was standing at the bedside. At other times, I was at the bedside table doing notes or charting. Okay, how many officers came and talked with her? There were two. Were they uniformed or plain clothes? They were plain clothes. And did she agree to speak with them? Yes. Okay, and approximately how long were they there? They were there until I left at about 7.05. I ended my shift at about 7.05. About what time did that interview begin? Do you remember? They probably got there about 6 o'clock, 6.05. So they were approximately an hour. Okay. 50 minutes maybe while I was there. Okay. Since you were in close proximity, were you able to overhear their questions and her answers? Yes. And did they ask her questions about the incident that occurred? Yes. What do you remember her telling about what happened there? The two detectives were standing at bedside and they asked her to just kind of start at the beginning and proceeded in a very methodical way of asking her what had happened. And I do remember much of the responses that she had given but there were times when I was not standing near the bed and was busy doing something else. I don't remember what she exactly said as far as how it all started or how she was, what awakened her. The first thing that I recall 
is her stating that she was fending off an attacker with her hands. Okay. And where was she when she was fending off the attacker? A couch, sofa, something like that. What's the next thing you remember her telling the detectives? She went on to talk of how she did that and how the attacker at that point or shortly after that time left, ran out of the house from there. Okay, what's the next thing you remember her saying? She did say that the attacker dropped the knife, I believe, in the garage. Okay, and that once again, that she picked up the knife and at that point in time, she said, you know, quote, I pick up the knife. I shouldn't have picked up the knife because that I probably covered up the fingerprints. I shouldn't have picked up the knife. The same thing she had told you earlier. Exactly. Did the officers ask about the description of this assailant? Yes, they did. And initially, they actually started by asking her ethnic background skin color, things like that, build type of clothes that the attacker might be wearing. And at that point in time, she stated that he was wearing a dark baseball type cap, dark t-shirt and jeans. Okay. Did she say anything about if it was a white man, black man, Hispanic man? I don't recall. And I don't recall her giving any particular description of any facial features or anything like that. The detectives did ask her what the general build of the, the attacker was, and they used themselves as examples. You know, they said, quote, was the attacker built like, unquote, the two detectives were Detective Frosch and Patterson. If the attacker was built like either one of the two of them, and at that point and time, she said that the attacker was built similar to Detective Frosch. Okay, were Detectives Patterson and Frosch, are they different sizes? Yes, Detective Frosch is much taller than Detective Patterson. And she said that the attacker was built like Detective Frosch. Correct. Okay. At this point, Mr. Toby Shook says, could I have just a moment to have Detective Frosch brought in, Judge? And the court says, okay. And as soon as he's presented, I'm going to take a morning break. And Mr. Toby Shook said, okay, Judge. The court says, officer, if you will come on up, please. Or detective, excuse me. Mr. Shook at this point says, for identification purposes, is this Detective Frosch? Yes, it is. And is this the man Darley Routier pointed to as having the build of the assailant? Yes, it is. Okay. Mr. Toby Shook then says, and if you could just turn around for us, turn and face the jury, please. Thank you. And then the court says, okay, ladies and gentlemen, let's take a 15 minute break. When the break was over and the jury came back into the room, the examination then continued by Mr. Toby Shook. And he asks, he says, I believe we left off where you were explaining where Mrs. Routier had pointed to Detective Frosch as having a similar build of the attacker. Correct. Okay. Did the detectives ask her about stolen property? They did, in the course of their questioning, ask her if she noticed anything at all was stolen or missing from the home. And she said no. 
And she went on to state how she had some jewelry laying out in the open and how that that was not stolen. And then went into great detail on the type of jewelry that it was and talking about the type of rings, different baguettes, and excuse me, I'm not that well versed on jewelry terminology, but she went into what seemed to me to be great detail on the actual jewelry that was laying around. Okay. How long did the, when you left at seven o'clock, they were still there. Is that right? Correct. Could you describe how the detectives conducted the interview? Very methodical, very, they were very unobtrusive. I mean, they just simply asked her to tell them what she knew. And then after she made the statement, then they would go back and go over the statement in more detail. For instance, asked about the attacker. They took her back and asked if the attacker had a hat on, what type of build, what type of skin color, facial features, clothing, etc., etc. Okay, that was the first time I had ever heard anyone being questioned and it seemed to be very methodical. Did they badger her in any way or anything like that? Not at all, no. Did they try to suggest answers to her? Not at all. Or give her answers in any way? No. Okay. Did she appear during this entire interview to understand the questions? Completely. Did she appear to be alert in every way? Yes. Okay. You've seen victims of shock. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Was she under shock at all from what you could tell? No. Suffering in any way from the anesthesia in any way? No. Okay. The slight amount of pain medication you gave her, did she seem to be affected by that in any way? No. Okay. Now you said there is, is there a blood pressure alarm that was hooked up to her? Correct. If you could explain that to the jury, how is that hooked up? Again, it's, you have an artery. It's called your radial artery, which runs down through this portion of your arm. And they have this small, what they call a catheter, which is actually a small tube like an IV catheter that they would insert, but they insert it into the radial artery and it directly monitors the actual pressure in that artery. So it's the most accurate means that we have of determining blood pressure. It gives you a direct measure of what the blood pressure is. So she had a catheter inserted into this artery and then a line that comes out and is connected to the machinery. Does that have an alarm installed on it? Yes, it does. Okay. And what is the alarm for? The alarms are set in case the blood pressure were to drop too low or to go too high. The machine will alarm to alert you just in the event that you weren't at that particular time happening to look at the right, right at the monitor, which has the readout of what the blood pressure is because it's a continuous monitor. It monitors the blood continuously. So the alarm will alarm to let you know something's wrong. Had the alarm gone off with Mrs. Routier? Yes, it did. When did it go off? It went, it alarmed when the detectives were questioning her. Okay. And when you heard the alarm go off, what did you do? 
at the time I was seated at the bedside table slightly behind the detectives. They were right at the bedside. And when the alarm went off, I immediately stood up and looked at the monitor and it was alarming, what we call a false alarm. It was alarming an extremely high blood pressure reading, which in most cases is false. And as I walked over and looked, it was because she was moving her left arm and bending her wrist. And with those types of monitors, essentially what happens is if you move your left arm or the arm that the monitor is in, they're very sensitive. So if you bend your wrist or bend your arm up, you can essentially pinch off the catheter or fool the catheter which will cause it to read the false high pressure in there. And that's what hers was doing at that point in time. So she's moving her arm around and that's causing it, that's causing it to alarm. Yes. Okay. Did you explain that to her and the detectives? Yes. At that time I walked over there and both of the detectives turned to me and they were concerned because they didn't know weren't familiar with the equipment. They just heard the alarms going off and immediately asked me if everything was okay. At which time I told them the same thing that I explained to you, that it was a false alarm and explained that also to Mrs. Routier and explained to her that if she could just keep her left arm stable and relatively still, that it would no longer alarm like that. Okay. Now, when she was in your care, did you notice that, did she seem upset to you somewhat? She was. Her eyes were cheerful, but she had a very flat affect. Okay. It didn't seem to have a lot of emotion. Okay. Is that what you mean by flat affect? Yes. Was that the reaction that you were expecting when you heard the background of why she was admitted? Actually, no. I was... Again, as I stated earlier, I was concerned that maybe this person would be emotionally distraught or hysterical. Didn't really know what to expect, but that was kind of what I thought I might be experiencing and in store for. So I was thinking that I would need to prepare for a patient that was in that emotional state. Okay, but you saw this flat affect. Yes, Okay, you did see some tears. Is that right? Yes. What type of tears did you see? Her eyes would kind of weld up in a little bit with water, with tears, and an occasional teardrop. And she still had on her eye makeup. And so I don't know how much of that ran from the tears at that time or but you know, some of the eye makeup was had run down onto her upper cheeks. Okay, you made note of that in your nurse's notes. Is that right? Yes. Do you all keep notes there by the bedside? Yes. What are those called? There are nurses notes. They call them focus notes. Okay. And what are the purpose of focus notes? Essentially, in the intensive care unit, we have two ways of charting patient care or patient condition. We have got an assessment flow sheet, which saves us time, where, as I stated earlier, we look at each system, each system in the body, and there are different sections. And there are standard assessment values that you would mark off, which saves you time. 
And then we have other sheets that are called focus notes, where anything that would be out of the ordinary that didn't fit in the normal parameters or what we would consider normal for that particular system, we would then chart in order to keep track of what's gone on with the patient's care. That's essentially what the notes are for. All right, let me show you what's been marked as States Exhibit 52-A and ask you, is that a photograph of Mrs. Routier? Yes, it is. Okay, do you see the large bruise there all along her right arm? Yes, I do. Okay, now, as your experience as a nurse there at Baylor, have you seen bruises and injuries like that often? Yes. Okay, do y'all call that a blunt trauma causing this type of bruises? Just by looking at the photograph, I would, my experience would lead me to believe that that was caused by some sort of blunt trauma. Okay, now, while she's in your care, do you make a careful assessment of her physical conditions, injuries, things like that? Yes, yes. Okay, at any time, did you see any injury to her right arm that would have caused this type of bruising? I did not. When I was taking care of her, the only thing on her right arm was the actual injury that she had to the upper right arm, which had a dressing on it. And I did not see any other bruising or swelling that would be consistent with something like that to any other areas of the arm. If Mrs. Routier had received some severe blunt, blunt trauma or blunt trauma enough, to cause that type of bruising, let's say on the 6th of June, around 2.30 in the morning, would you have seen evidence of those injuries on her right arm? I would have seen, probably not to that extent, but I would have seen the beginnings of it. Okay, this would have been, you saw her from five to seven, is that right? Right, so we're talking about two and a half to three and a half, almost four hours later, right you would have seen some evidence of that injury, right? And these are things you check for, right? Correct. You didn't see it? No. Okay. Also, States Exhibit number 52-N, do you recognize, it shows a photograph of a hand bruising to the left wrist and arm area? Yes. Did you see any evidence of that type of injury? I did not, okay? At that time, no. And can we see where on that particular, in this photograph, let's just assume this is Mrs. Routier's hand that where you had IVs hooked up. What you can see on the photograph is if you look at this little spot here, that would have been where the arterial monitor was inserted. This was obviously taken after that was removed at some point in time. Okay, she didn't have any IVs hooked up to her right side, did she? No, you didn't see any evidence of injuries here to the left side? No, I did not. Again, is this something you would have looked for? Yes, okay. Now, did the Rowlett police contact you sometime later, I think actually in July, on the first day of July, and have you write out an affidavit? Yes, they did. Okay, and where did that take place? At the Rowlett Police Department. Did you execute a three-page affidavit? I did. Did you just kind of write it out in your own words? Mm-hmm. 
Do you recall who asked you to do that? Detective Frosch. Okay, let me show you. And Mr. Toby Shook then asks the court, he says, if I could get this marked. And then he continues with the questioning. Let me show you a three-page document marked State's Exhibit 55. And take a look at those three pages, please. Okay. Does that appear to be a copy of the affidavit that you gave to the Rowlett Police Department? Yes, it does. Okay. And then Mr. Toby Shook says, Judge, that's all the questions I have. And I will give turn the affidavit over to him. And the court then says, Mr. Mulder and Mr. Douglas Mulder then says, Judge, I have not seen this. Would you bear with me while I read it quickly? And the court then says, all right. And then at this point, Mr. Mulder, again, for Darley's defense team, gets up and begins his cross-examination. Mr. Wilgus, you have no doubt had an opportunity to read this statement or perhaps have a copy of it yourself. Do you not? Yes, I do. So you were able to, I guess, review it as much as you wanted in preparation for your testimony today. I did review it, yes. Okay. And is it fair to say, Mr. Wilgus, that prior to the time that you gave this statement, you were questioned to some degree by the detectives? Prior to that date? Right, in writing out the statement. Well, that was the first time the police had contacted me. Okay, so you had seen them on the 6th of June only and only on that date. Correct. Okay. And saw them for, I believe you said you got off at seven o'clock. So whatever time they got up there until your shift was over. Right. You left promptly at seven o'clock, I assume. Approximately seven, seven oh five. Okay, and that is, you didn't hear anything from them until July the 1st of 1996. Correct. Did they come to Paler Hospital to see you? They called me and asked me if I would be able to come out to the Rowlett. They contacted me at work. Okay, because I work nights, they contacted me while I was at work and asked me if I would come out to the Rowlett Police Department. When you got off work? No, we set up a date several days after that. Okay. And so they contacted you just a couple of days before July the 1st. Correct. And you made arrangements. Did you go out there on your day off? Yes. Okay. And I guess renewed your acquaintanceship with both Frosh and Detective Patterson? Well, presented myself to them. Shook hands with them. Right. They said, Remember us? Yes. You said, yeah, I remember y'all. You were the ones that came up there to see Miss Routier. Right. Words to that effect? Yes. They said, do you remember? I assume they said, do you remember at that time that we were up there talking to her? Do you remember back if she appeared to be alert at that time? Did they ask you that? They asked, they did ask me if she was alert at that time. Okay. And had you in preparation for this meeting, I bet you had gone back and reviewed your notes. Hadn't you? No, I had not. Had not. Okay. Had the opportunity to do that at that point in time. Okay. But you're telling this jury 
that prior to the time that you went out and met with them July the 1st of 1996, you had not had an opportunity to review your notes. I did not review my notes. Okay. So, and you're sure about that? Yes. Okay. So at any rate, you visited with them. About how long did y'all talk before they wanted you to give a statement? I would say approximately 15 minutes, approximately 15 minutes. Okay. Y'all just basically chatted about what had gone on on the 6th while they were there. I actually asked them several questions, asked them why they were interested in having me come to fill out a statement. Okay. And they answered my questions. And then we went on to ask me, they asked me at that point, they asked me to fill out the affidavit, fill out an affidavit. Did they, let me ask you this. When is the last time you saw the prosecutors before today, before this morning in here in court? I did see the prosecutors yesterday. Okay. And yesterday evening? No, yesterday morning. Morning. Which ones did you see? I saw Prosecutor Shook. Okay. You talked to him yesterday morning, just in passing. Sure. Just pass the time of day with them. Like, good morning. How are you, Toby? Correct. And when did you come down here? We came down here Monday night. Okay. You say we. Who did? Did you come down with someone? I came down on, we flew down out of Love Field in Dallas with several other subpoenaed witnesses. Okay. Who did y'all come down with? There were several other Baylor employees. Do you know who they were? I do know who they are. Yes. Could you share that with us, please? Mr. Toby Shook at this point says, Judge, I'll, I'll object to relevance who he came with. And the court then says, overruled. I'll let him answer that question. Go ahead. The witness then says, I came down with several of the nurses from the four ICU and also a nurse from the emergency room and one of the residents. Do you remember what their names were? I was not acquaint acquainted uh, with these people before we actually came to Kerrville. So I still am not aware of all of their last names. But at this point in time, I do know their first names. Tell us their first names, if you would. There is a nurse, first name Paige, and a nurse, first name Jody. Another nurse, first name was Jody. There is a nurse, Denise, and Dr. Dillon was the resident. Okay, so we've got two Jodies, a Paige, and a Denise. That's correct. Okay. Y'all have been staying out at the Holiday Inn, haven't you? Correct. I assume you have lunch together or eat dinner together, things like that while you're waiting here to testify? At times. Okay. Kind of allowed you to, I guess, get better acquainted a little bit better? To some extent, yes. I mean, not much to do out there, is there, except watch TV? No, there's not a lot to do. Pretty cold to go outside. Rainy? Yes. Have you all talked about your testimony? Actually, we've been instructed not to. Okay. And had you met with the prosecutors back in Dallas? Yes, I did. And when was that? I don't remember the exact dates. Sometime in November. Okay. 
And where was it that y'all met? They had come out to my apartment. Okay, who came out there? Investigator Basillo and attorney Shook. Okay, is that the only contact you had with them? Previous to that, I had contact with investi investigator Basillo at Baylor Medical Center. And he just, did he have your affidavit with him when he came out to visit you? I do not recall if he had the affidavit at that time, but he talked to you at that time, did he? Yes, he did. Was that the first contact you had with anyone from the DA's office? Correct. Okay. So you met with Mr. Shook how many times? Once. Okay. And then passed the time of day with him here the other day. Correct. Okay. You didn't participate in any dress rehearsal or anything like that, did you? No. Okay. Now, do you have, did the detectives, when they talked to you, did they ask you, quote, do you recall when I questioned her about such and such? And do you recall when I asked her about the description? Did they ask you anything like that? No, they simply asked if I recalled them questioning her. And that's it? The detectives? Yes, sir. When I was in Rollette? Yes. Yes. Okay. And you're telling the jury that you didn't have, you didn't go over your notes when you, in preparation for the, in preparation for your interview with them, when you gave your affidavit? That's correct. Okay. And this may be, I don't mean to be splitting hairs here, but you notice when you gave a description on your affidavit, how you described her. Are you familiar with it enough or would you like to look at it? Or do you have your own copy? No, I would like to look at it. Okay. Did you find anything in here where you described her as crying visibly upset? Yes. Okay. And that's what you say exactly. Crying visibly upset. Correct. Okay. And that was in your affidavit as well? Yes. Okay. You had told us something here about, and I assume you didn't take any notes at the time, did you? Take any notes at what time? At the time that this interview was going on at the Rowlett Police Department. Right. No, I did not. And were you tending to other things or were you just, the court then says, I think the jury is having a tough time hearing you might want to raise your voice a little. Can everybody hear him? Okay, speak into that microphone loud then. Go ahead. Mr. Mulder then says, okay. They had asked you when you gave your affidavit to make it as complete as you possibly could, didn't they? They simply asked if I would write an affidavit, okay? And were you told or did you understand that you should make it as... Of course, you're the type of guy that, you know, as a nurse, you make things as complete as you possibly can anyway, don't you? We do, yes. And is it part of your business to be accurate, isn't it? That's correct. That's why you put that when she came into your unit, she was visibly upset and she was crying. That's what I stated. Not just tears, a little water in the eyes, but she was actually crying, wasn't she? And that's what you put down there. I did put down that she was crying. Yes. Okay. 
You put it down because it's true, isn't it? She was crying. All right. And you told the jury about how you listened to them question her. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. In your statement, you said that, and I believe you testified to this too, that you had been advised by someone that the Rowlett Police Department officers were there and wanted to question Miss Routier. Is that right? That is correct. And you said that's why you delayed giving her any medication, correct? Well, that's why I called to find out how long they may be, yes. And you delayed any medication at that point, did you not? Approximately 10 minutes, yes. Okay. And then, so I think you noted in there that you were advised that they wanted to question her at about six o'clock or thereabouts. I don't recall the exact time. At the time that I called down, they said that they would be there in approximately 10 minutes. All right. And they didn't show up, did they? Correct. So you went ahead and administered some medication to her, some Demerol and then another drug that keeps your stomach from being upset. Correct. Okay. And about what time was that done? Approximately 5.50. Okay. Did you chart it in there at 6.05? I may have. Okay. And that would be the time that it was actually given then, I guess, wasn't it? Wouldn't it be? Whatever is the charted time? Well, that would be the most accurate time. Okay. And then you said it was about how long before they came up? Approximately 10 minutes. Okay. Of course, you had other things you were attending to. You weren't just standing there waiting on them. Were you tapping your foot? Waiting on the police? Yeah. No, I was waiting on, I was attending to the patient. Okay. And you had other chores, I assume, like making notes on your charts and things like that? Yes. Okay. The point I'm making is you weren't just standing there tapping your foot, waiting for the police officers to get up there, were you? No, I was not. Okay. The police come up, came up about 15 minutes or so after you had administered the Demerol. I would say 10 to 15 minutes. Yes. That's what you're saying. You're saying 10 to 15 minutes, if I understand it correctly. Yes. So that is going to put them up there at about what? 6.15 or 6.20, something like that. Approximately. Yes. Okay. And did you have anything else to attend to at this time? The patient, and that's it? Correct. Were there other patients in the ICU? Yes, there were. About how big is this ICU room? The particular room has, they're set up in different pods, they call them, okay? And each pod has four beds. In this particular case, this was the only patient in this pod, Okay, but how many other pods did you have? Are there on the unit or was I responsible for? No, on the unit, there are seven. Okay, I mean, I may have the wrong conception of this, but I visualize a room. Is it as big as this room? Each pod? No, the entire room. It's not an entire room. It's actually a portion of an entire floor. Okay, with a hallway. And off the hallway are separate rooms, which we call pods. They each have four beds in them for patients. All right. Well, there's some privacy in there. Were, 
where they were able to question her. Is that right? Yes. And you were just, you just sat there and listened. Is that your story pretty much? Well, I was there while they were questioning her performing my responsibilities. What were your responsibilities? Again, tending to the patient and monitoring the patient and doing all of the paperwork required to admit the patient into the intensive care unit. How much paperwork is involved in that? Well, do you want pages or I don't know how you want me to quantify that? Well, I want to know if you're just making a couple of check marks and signing your name or if there's something that requires, you know, some thinking. Well, there's quite a bit that requires a lot of thinking. Yes. Okay. Well, all right. Well, if I assume you're attending to your stuff and letting the police, you don't anticipate at that time that you're going to be down here testifying, did you? No, I did not. So you're making sure that what you're doing is accurate as opposed to monitoring the police interrogation. Is that fair to say? I was not monitoring the police interrogation, but I could not help but overhear portions of it. I understand. But it's kind of like when you're working on a project and the TV set is on, something like that. Well, I don't think that's necessarily an accurate analogy. You don't like that analogy? No. All right. You've done that, haven't you? Where you'll have the TV set on. Maybe somebody else is over here watching TV and they're concentrating on that and you're doing paperwork and you don't know whether cowboys are winning or losing. I'm not a big Cowboys fan, so I wouldn't know. Well, that's a better analogy. You're not a big Cowboy fan, so you wouldn't be paying attention. So you would be tending to your business, whatever you're doing, right? Correct. Okay. So you tried to be as accurate as you could in the state's exhibit number 55. And you told us you said something about a struggle. Is that right? Is that right? I didn't use the word struggle. I said that, what did you say? A struggle with her attacker or something like that was defending herself, defending herself, right. Would you show me in there where you say that? I don't have it stated in the affidavit. Do you want to look through the whole affidavit so you can make, be, make sure? Okay, no, I don't state that specifically in this affidavit. Okay, I guess you weren't, that didn't seem important to you at the time. Well, I didn't think I was going to be required to state in detail their entire questioning. Well, you know, just a casual reading of this, you spend more time really on the jewelry and rings and stuff like that, don't you? At this point, Mr. Toby Shook says, Judge, I'll object. If he's going to just keep referring to that document in general, then we would object to that unless it's put in evidence. And the court then says sustained. Mr. Mulder then says, yes, sir, you actually, but you do address the jewelry to some extent, don't you? I do. That was something that stuck out very specifically in my mind. Okay, Mr. Wilgus, in your position as a nurse, you have seen, I guess, people who have been victims of trauma, I guess, on a daily occurrence. Do you not? Yes. Okay. Could you give us your, based on your expertise and experience and whatever, can you give us your best estimate or guesstimate as to how old these bruises are? Can you be more specific? 
Well, I don't know how. Well, I don't understand the question. How old are they? Oh, okay. Can you tell us, obviously, whoever, if these are a result of trauma, well, let me put it to you this way. If these are a result of trauma, are you saying that it must have happened after she was discharged from your care from your hospital? I did not say that. I simply stated that the bruising on the right arm is not consistent with anything that I assessed or noted at the time that I took care of the patient. All right. Are you saying that you would have noticed had it been there? Or are you saying that you should have noticed it had it been there? I'm saying that if there was anything that would have caused that amount of bruising, I would have noticed it. Well, surely if you have been bruised before, haven't you? Yes, I have. Did you ever bump yourself or run up against a table and bump your hip and all of a sudden you're getting out of the shower and you look down and you see it and you think, gosh, when did I do that? All of a sudden it's black and blue and you think back and it was three or four days ago. Has that ever happened to you? That has happened to me. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm not suggesting that you overlooked these bruises, but it's been my experience and I suspect your experience with bruises that you get an injury and you don't see anything, maybe slight swelling immediately. And then as the hours and the days go on, it gets worse and worse until it finally peaks and starts to fade. Well, it's been my experience that to cause the bruising that that's severe, that there would have been at that time a hematoma that would have been apparent that there would have been a large amount of localized swelling at the site of the trauma, that the trauma took place and it would have taken 24 or 48 hours for it to become that apparent and severe throughout the entire arm. Okay, now, did you see Miss Routier on the 7th? No, I did not. Did you see her on the 8th? No, I did not. Okay, so your observations of her are, I guess, limited to from five o'clock, as you described it, until seven o'clock. That's correct. Okay. And she wasn't up there and no one had called any attention to any bruising on her. Is that right? Excuse me? And no one had said to you that she had been bruised. You didn't note that. That was not noted in the chart when you got her and she didn't complain of bruises. Well, I was the initial nurse that I did the initial assessment after she came out of the OR. And at that time there was no bruising there and nothing that would indicate any trauma. Okay, did you examine her hands? Yes, I did. Did you notice anything remarkable on her hands, either of her hands? There was blood on her hands, dried blood, okay. The very, very slight seemed like a very slight cut, possibly on the left hand, I believe. Did you note that in your chart? That was not noted. How do you know it wasn't noted? Well, I don't recall seeing that in the chart. Have you been over your chart? I have been. I have since looked at the chart. Yes. And when did you last look at the chart? Tuesday. Tuesday? Yes. Okay. And did you go through her entire chart? No. Just looked at the two-hour window that you had? 
I looked at the entries that I made on the focus notes. Okay. So you know that you didn't note the injuries to her hand. Correct. Why is that? There was a, what looked like a very minor paper cut to the hand. Okay. Okay. Did you notice any other injuries to her hands? No, I did not. Okay. Did you, you said she was bloody. Yes. Did she have blood on her arms? No, she had blood on her hands, fingers and hands. Had you, and you're telling the jury that somebody had apparently cleaned her arms and had not cleaned her hands. I'm not telling them that. I'm just telling them that the only thing that she had on her when I saw her was blood on her hands. Okay. And fingers. In as much as, and I guess you've told us that you weren't attending to other patients. So other than the paperwork that you had to handle, I assume, before got off work, she was your only patient. Correct. All right. Any reason you didn't wash her hands? That was not a priority at the time. Well, so the paperwork was the number one priority. The paperwork, once she is stable, when we assess her and determine that she is stable, her vital signs are stable, then yes, we need to have our charting and paperwork done. And that's what you were primarily concerned with. And also to review the orders, they come out from the OR with a list of orders from the physicians, which we have to check very carefully. Didn't say anything about cleaning her hands and the physician's orders, I guess. No. Okay. You know, obviously, I don't have your vast experience, but I couldn't assess if someone's hand was bloody. The first thing I would do was wash it off and see if it was hurt. Mr. Toby Shook then says, Judge, we'll object to what Mr. Mulder might do. Mr. Mulder then says, well, I'm suggesting to you. The court then says, well, I think this is that's overruled. I'll let him ask the question. Go ahead. Mr. Mulder then says, well, you know, again, I don't have your vast experience, but if I saw blood on somebody's hand, I'd probably think that maybe their hand was cut. So what I would probably do was wash their hand and I could assess it then. I wouldn't just eyeball it and say bloody hand. I don't understand why you didn't clean the hands. Again, that was not a priority. And as far as the blood on the hand, her hand was not completely covered with blood. Oh, now it just had some blood on it. No, her hand was not completely covered with blood. She had blood on the hand and I never stated that it was covered with blood. Okay, but so you could tell that. What could you tell from that? Just tell us. She didn't, her hand wasn't totally bloody. I don't understand the question. Well, I mean, so you were the one that said she had blood on her hands. Correct. Okay. I asked you simply how you could assess it without washing the blood off. And you said it wasn't a priority. Washing the blood off was not a priority. Okay. Did she have blood on her arms? Not that I recall. Well, they wouldn't bathe her arms while she was being operated on, would they? Well, I don't know what they did when they operated on her. Okay. Well, they said when she came into the emergency room, she was covered in blood. They wouldn't bathe her en route from the operating room to your room, would they? Again, I have no knowledge of what was done 
between the time the patient was admitted to the hospital and the time they came to me in the intensive care unit. Are you saying that she didn't have any blood on her arms? I'm saying the only blood I recall was on her hands. Did she have blood on her feet? She did not, that I recall. Well, is that kind of a definite maybe? I do not recall blood on her feet. Okay, are you saying that you looked at her feet? Yes, okay. And you're telling the jury under oath that she had no blood on her feet. Correct, all right. I just want to make sure we understand each other. That is a, it is as safe to say, a two and a half page affidavit that you were asked to write. Correct. Okay. Actually, the only thing that it says in there, and I will hand it to you so that you can make sure that what I say is accurate. But if I read that thing right, the only thing it says in there is that she responded to was a description at this point, Mr. Toby Shook says, well, judge, I'll object to this as improper impeachment. I mean, if he's got a quarrel with something that's in the affidavit, he can go specifically to it. But characterizing the affidavit is improper impeachment. And the court then says sustained. Mr. Mulder says, let me just ask you, is there anything other that she describes in there other than what the assailant was wearing and she talks about the jewelry not being stolen. In this particular affidavit, in the affidavit you wrote, and that is what it stated in the affidavit. No, sir. Okay, so the only thing, you just talked about the police being methodical with her and starting at the beginning and a description of the assailant. And Mr. Shook then says, again, judge, I'll object to just generally describing the affidavit. If he wants to put it in evidence, that's fine, but that's improper impeachment. And the court then says, I'll sustain the objection. Mr. Mulder says, judge, this is past recollection recorded. The court then says, thank you. Mr. Mulder says, I'm entitled to go into it. The court says, well, let's ask the next question then. Thank you. Mr. Mulder then says, did you put anywhere in your notes or in the affidavit anything about Mrs. Routier having a flatness of affect? No, I did not. That's just something that you remembered. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. People deal with grief in different manners, don't they? Yes. Is it fair to say? Fair to say they do that. And, you know... I don't know what tragedy you may have experienced in your lifetime, but certainly you have been in contact with those who have experienced tragedy and they can be up one minute and down the next and flat the next. And it just runs the gamut of human emotion, doesn't it? Well, I don't know if you can characterize it completely that way, but it varies. Well, that is 95% correct. What I said, wasn't it? Well, I can't comment. Mr. Mulder then says, I believe that's all. Thanks. And the court says, anything, Mr. Shook? Mr. Toby Shook then says, Judge, we will offer state's exhibit number 55. And the court says, any objection? Mr. Mulder says, Judge, it's improper and it's bolstering, but I don't have an objection to it. And he knows it's improper. And you should admonish him for doing that. Mr. Shook says, well, Judge, we would like a legal objection. And the court says, well, 
are you going to object or not? Mr. Mulder says, no, sir, I don't have an objection. In fact, I was thinking about putting it in myself. The court then says, all right, well, thank you. States Exhibit 55 will be admitted. Mr. Toby Shook then says, I don't have any further questions. And the court then says, all right, thank you. You may step down. The court then says, who is the next witness, Phyllis Jackson or Paige Campbell? And Mr. Shook says, the state calls Phyllis Jackson. Phyllis Jackson takes the stand and her direct examination is done by Mr. Toby Shook. And he begins with the questioning, Miss Jackson, how are you employed? I'm employed by Baylor Healthcare System Police Department. Okay. And you're a police officer with them? Yes, sir. I'm a corporal in patrol. How long have you been with them? Six years. Does Baylor Hospital have its own police department? Yes, sir, we do. Okay, and what is your jurisdiction? Anywhere in the Baylor Healthcare System property, whether it's in Dallas or any of the affiliates that are nearby. Okay, they have more than just one central location, is that right? That's correct. About how big is your department? We have about 50 sworn officers. Okay, and you've been with them six years? Yes, sir. Okay, let me ask you, if you were on duty on July, I'm sorry, June 6th, 1996. Yes, sir, I was. What time did you come on duty? That evening, I came on at 10.15. Okay, on the 5th. Okay, so that would be the 5th of June? Correct. And where were you assigned? in the Roberts building, okay? And what were your duties there? To patrol the floors, just walk through, check doors, make sure everything is locked up, relieve other officers for breaks as necessary. Okay, sometime in the early morning hours, were you contacted to help assist with some witnesses and some victims? I went down to the emergency department and one of the fellow officers told me of the routiers being at the hospital and he needed a break. So I relieved him for a break. Okay. And about what time was that? It was about 4.45 in the morning. Yes, sir. Okay. Did you meet Darren Routier at that time? Yes, sir, I did. And where was he located when you met him? He was in family room number one outside of the emergency department. And how was he dressed? He had on blue jeans and a white t-shirt. Okay, let me show you what's been marked as state's exhibit number 54 and ask if you can identify that Polaroid photo. Yes, sir. Is that a photo of Darren Routier? Yes, it is. How he appeared that day? Yes, sir. Okay, we'll offer state's exhibit 54. Shortly thereafter, did you come to meet some Rowlett detectives? Yes, sir, I did. Okay, and did you take them to a certain location in the hospital? Yes, sir. After Officer Avalar returned from break, I escorted Detective Patterson and Frosch from the Rowlett Police Department up to 2 South ICU. Okay, and what was at that particular location? They wanted to interview Mrs. Routier. Okay. And did you take them actually into her room? Yes, sir, I did. Who was present there? 
Chris Wilgus, he's an RN. Okay. He was there. Sheila Jackson, she's a night administrator. She was inside the room. She asked me to come in to discuss media and stuff if they showed up at the hospital. Okay. So did you talk to Mrs. Jackson at that time? Yes, sir, I did. Did the Rowlett detectives then begin to talk to Mrs. Routier? Yes, sir, they did. Okay. Did you stay in that room for any length of time after that? I was in the room and then I had to leave on some calls and then I came back to the room. So you were in and out of the room. Yes. Okay. And how close were you to the detectives, Mrs. and Mrs. Routier? Initially, when I went in, I was about 20 feet away, but upon leaving and re-entering, probably as close as seven feet. Okay. Were you able to observe her and the detectives? Yes, sir. And were you able to hear the conversation that they were having? Parts of it. When you were in the room, while I was in the room, and not occupied with something with Miss Jackson. That's correct. Okay. Did, well, what was Mrs. Brutier, what was her appearance at that time? She was awake, oriented, and she answered the questions that the officers asked. Did she seem to understand the questions they were asking? Yes, she did. Okay. And were you able to hear her answers as to some of the questions they asked her? Yes, I was. Okay. Were you there when she talked about how the attack occurred? Yes, sir. On what I heard was when she said that she awoke with a man on top of her. Okay. And what did she say happened then? And she described him as a white male with shoulder length, a dark colored hair. And she said that they struggled. And as he fled... She picked up a knife and chased him to the garage area. Okay. Did she, and she said this man was on top of her when she woke up. That's correct. Okay. Did she say where she was when this happened? She said she was in the living room that her and her two sons had fell asleep in front of the television that evening. Okay. Had she said why they were sleeping downstairs or anything like that, that you recall? She had said that she had been sleeping downstairs for about a week because she had been real restless and she didn't want to keep waking Mr. Routier up. Okay. And then she chased this man out and he dropped the knife. Is that right? She said she had picked up the knife and chased him. And once she realized she was wounded, she came back and had laid the knife on the kitchen countertop. Okay. What's the next thing you remember her telling them? She said Mr. Routier came to the top of the stairs and then that he came on downstairs. Okay. And then what happened? The next thing I remember is she was saying that she wore rings on all 10 of her fingers and she described most of them in specific detail that she had taken them off earlier that evening and laid them on the kitchen countertop. Okay. So she had had rings on earlier on every finger and put them on the kitchen countertop? Yes, sir. And what was her description of the rings? There was one she said she wore on her forefinger that was a quarter carat. And then some of the others were described as clusters of gems set in gold. Okay. 
And then the description of the attacker was a white male. Yes, sir. She said a white male, shoulder length, dark hair, wearing a ball cap. Okay. And did she go into any other details about him other than that? She said that Detective Frosch was in the room and she said that the assailant was about the same build as Detective Frosch. Okay. Did she have to face him, have him face one way or the other when she was doing that? Well, she said that she could not describe his face, that all she could describe was from the back. So Detective Frosch had turned around and she said that he was about the same build. About the same build, same size? Yes, sir. Okay. Did she say anything about any windows being open? Anything like that? Yes, sir. She said the window in the garage had been opened due to the cat being out in the garage because the cat was in heat. Okay. The Rowlett detectives, how did they ask questions? They didn't interview. How you interview any victim of any crime, just trying to figure out what had happened in the home. They weren't interrogating her? No, sir. Not at all. Anything like that, were they? No, sir. Was it a pretty long and methodical process? They kind of went with, at the beginning, the parts that I heard. From the beginning towards till, you know, the paramedics and all that got there. And they just asked questions and she answered them. Or sometimes, you know, she might have made another statement and they went from there. You weren't in the room for the entire interview, were you? No, I was not. Mr. Douglas Mulder then says, object to the leading. And the court then says, sustained. Let's phrase our questions properly, please. And at some time later, did these detectives contact you to execute an affidavit? Yes, sir, they did. Do you remember when that was? Well, it was a few days after the night of meeting her on June 6th. Did you do that for them? Yes, sir, I did. Okay, let me show you what's been marked as State's Exhibit 56 and ask you if that's a copy of the affidavit you gave. Yes, it is. Okay, and then he says, that's all the questions I have, Judge. The court then says, all right. And Mr. Mulder says, can I see that exhibit? Thank you. And then Mr. Douglas Mulder begins his cross-examination. You said the detectives, Mrs. Jackson... Yes, sir. Contacted you a few days after this incident. Yes, sir. And you gave them a statement that day. No, not that particular day. That affidavit is the date on it where I signed it was when it was notarized. Okay, well, did you type up the statement or did they type up the statement? I typed it up. You typed it yourself. Yes, sir. I take it you typed it up from notes that you had made? I typed it up from memory. You typed it up from memory? Yes, sir. Okay. And did you have it notarized at or about the time that you gave the statement? I had it notarized when I took it to the Rowlett Police Department. And I assume they contacted you and said, give us a statement. And you got back to them in your usual prompt fashion. Yes, sir. The statement is dated sometime in July, is it not? Yes, sir, it is. And that's what you meant by a few days later? 
No, sir. They contacted me before the 3rd of July. Okay. Well, at any rate, your story is that you took no notes. It was not my investigation. Right. So, no, sir. I did not take any notes. And who else was in that room at that time? Chris Wilgus. Okay. He's an RN. Was he taking notes? He was tending to her medical needs. What was he doing? If you could tell us. He was sitting near her bedside and occasionally he would, she had some kind of monitor or something hooked up and he would tell her not to, you know, move her arm or something. How many times did that happen? A few times, two times, three times, about three, about three times. And he would tell her, don't move your arm. You're setting off the alarm. Yes. Okay. What else was he doing? I believe he was charting. I'm not sure. Making notes about what she was saying. I don't know. Okay. I was not near him. He was on the further side of the room than where I was. So I was not overlooking his shoulder, seeing what he was doing. I take it, it was a room about this size. It's not quite this large. Not, it's for four people, so it wouldn't be quite this big. Well, it's for four people, but it's still not quite this large. Gosh, four people? They would have plenty of room, wouldn't they? Well, in a room this size? Well, okay, I don't understand your question. How big was this room? You said it wasn't quite this size. The ICU pods are just a little beyond the doors there, not all the way to the back. How many beds in each pod? Just four. Four. And were there any other people in the other beds? No, sir. Okay. How many of you all were in this room at the time you say you were there? About five of us. Okay. Who were they? Well, six of us. Okay. Uh, Mrs. Routier, Detective Patterson, Detective Frosch, Sheila Jackson, and Chris Wilgus. Sheila Jackson? Yes, sir. And who is she? She's a nursing administrator. She's a nurse who was the nursing administrator at nighttime at Baylor. Okay. And why was she there? She was there because that's Anytime media is expected and all, you know, incidents when media is expected, she will go. And then she wanted to talk to the Rowlett officers to see if they knew if her name had been released yet and if the hospital had been released. Did she stay there for the entire time? And no, sir, she was in and out as well. She was in and out and you were in and out. Yes, sir. Okay. I mean, where does Sheila, what was Sheila Jackson? Where does Sheila Jack, where's Sheila Jackson's office? She offices on now on the first floor of Truett. Where was she officing at that time? I'm not exactly sure. They had just relocated the offices. So I'm not real sure if she was on the first floor of Roberts or on the first floor of Truett. Was Miss Jackson taking notes? No, she was not. Okay. Was Mr. Wilgus taking notes? I do not know what Mr. Wilgus was doing. Okay, you said he was charting. I believe he looked like he had a chart in his hand, but I do not know what he was doing for sure. Okay, do you know if the Rowlett police officers recorded this conversation that was had? I do not know. Okay, well, did you see a video camera there? 
I did not see any type of recording device. Okay, so you're telling us that there was not a video camera there. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you I do not know. I did not see any type of recording device. Well, I mean, that's something that you would see if it were there, isn't it? If it was a tape recorder, it could be in a pocket. Okay, but how about a video recorder that couldn't be in a pocket? Could it and do much good? No, sir, I did not see one. Okay, you didn't see a video recorder. No, I did not. And you don't know anything about, or at least you didn't see a tape recorder where it was exposed. Correct. Okay. Were either of the detectives taking notes? Yes, I believe they were. Okay. You were, I think you said seven feet from the bed. Is that right? That's correct. And, but you weren't taking notes. You're sure of that. I'm sure of that. Okay. And which of the detectives were taking notes? notes. Detective Frosch. All right. And did you see him actually take notes? I saw him take right in the what we call a whip out book. In a whip out book. Do you carry a whip out book too? Yes, I do. Okay. And you had your whip out book with you at that time? Yes, sir, I did. Okay. But it wasn't your investigation. So no reason for you to take notes. That's correct. All right. Were you there when they initially arrived and began this interrogation? Yes, sir, I was. And then you left at some point? I left and I returned. All right. How long had you been there when you left? Probably between five and 10 minutes. Okay. And how long did this entire interrogation last? It was... The interview, I'm not exactly sure, but I would say at least 30 minutes. Okay, all right. Now, when you, were you there when it ended? I was outside in the hallway. What were you doing out there? Talking to Mrs. Jackson again. Okay, you had lost interest in the interview? It was not my investigation. I was trying to take care of the hospital needs and our needs. And they had asked if we could get Mr. Routier a pair of scrubs, okay, to put on. And that's what I was trying to do. You were asking Sheila Jackson about some scrubs. Yes, sir. Does she handle the scrubs as well as the publicity? She handles everything administratively at Baylor at nighttime. Okay. Now, where did you go when you left? I, which time? How many times did you leave? A few times. Is that two or three or four? I was in and out of the room several times, probably about three times. About three times? Yes. Where did you go the first time you left? I had a call to respond to. Okay. It was a disturbance in the emergency department. Oh, there was a disturbance in the emergency department. Yes, sir. And so you went down there. I headed that direction and then it was canceled. Okay, how far did you go? I got down to the basement. Okay, from what floor was this on? The second floor. Okay, you got, I assume, walked down the hall to the elevators. That's correct. Is that what you did? Yes, sir. And I assume you had to wait for an elevator? They run pretty quickly at nighttime. Maybe your experience is different from mine. Well, during the daytime, it's different. Well, during any time. 
Well, during daytime, you can't get them, but at nighttime, the service elevator goes pretty quickly, especially when you're in a hurry. But at any rate, you got an elevator? Yes. And got down to the basement? Yes. How many floors down is that from the second floor? Is it three or four? It would just be the first floor is beneath the second and the basement is below that. Just one basement level? Yes, sir. Did you go to the emergency room? No, I did not. So you had a radio with you, I assume. That's correct. So you're in this interview room and your radio is there that can be activated. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay, so you left in response to your activated radio? That's correct. And did you pick it up and check it out? Yes. Say, I will be down there? Yes, I did. About how long did that take? Not very, just a matter of a few minutes. Once I got to the basement, they said, cancel, everything was under control. I assume you're out of the elevator by that time. I had just exited it. Well, you had to push the button and wait for an elevator again, didn't you? Yes, sir. Okay, and then you go back up to this room where they're having the interview. Uh-huh. On a matter that's not of your concern. That's your story, is that right? It's not a matter of investigation that my department was investigating. Okay, well, the only thing that you were supposed to do was take the, show the police officers where she was. I was showing them where she was and I was going to bring them back down when they needed to come back down. You didn't think they could find their own way out of there? It's a big hospital. They were not familiar with the hospital. Okay, what I asked was, what I asked you was, you didn't think that they would be able to find their way out of there? No, I didn't. Okay, so at any rate, you went back up. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And how long were you there before you left again? Probably 10 minutes. You were there about 10 minutes? Maybe, probably about 10. Were they asking her questions or was she just narrating this? They had asked a few questions and a few times she would add to whatever they asked. Okay. And at this time, were you still some 20 feet away from her? No, sir. I was a little closer. Did you go up there and say, excuse me, but I, you know, I had an emergency here and had to leave. And could somebody bring me up to date on what happened in the five or 10 minutes I've been gone? No, sir. You didn't do that? No, sir. Well, did you look on Mr. Frosch's notes to see where he was? No, sir, I did not. And again, you didn't take notes. No, sir, I did not. Okay. And how long were you there before you had to leave again? I just said 10 minutes. Okay. Where did you go when you left this next time? Out into the hallway. All right. And what was your purpose in doing that? At that time, Mrs. Jackson was out in the hallway and she had asked me if she could speak to one of the investigators. All right. And what did you tell her? I told her I would see what I could do for her. Okay. That didn't take long. I wouldn't guess, did it? No. Okay. A minute, two minutes, three, three minutes. Yes, sir. Okay. So you ducked back in. Yes, sir. And you know, excuse me, I don't want to interrupt, but could one of you step out into the hall? Well, Detective Patterson was looking my way, so I asked if he could speak to the administrator. Okay, and did he? Yes, he did. Okay, he wasn't the one who wasn't taking notes. That's correct. Okay, so he went out into the hall. 
Yes. You saw him go out there? Yes. Did you go out there with him? Yes, I did. And what did y'all talk about in the hall? Media. If it had been released that she had been brought to Baylor Hospital and about getting Mr. Routier scrubs at that point. Getting Mr. Routier scrubs? Yes. Okay. And you weren't in charge of scrubs? No, sir. Who wanted to get him scrubs? Detective Patterson. Well, he didn't say scrubs, but just something else to wear. Okay. They wanted his clothes, didn't they? Yes, sir. Okay. And you would give him scrubs rather than just handing him a blanket or a towel or whatever. Yes, sir. Okay. And all right. So did you duck back into the room? I remained in the hallway with Detective Patterson and Mrs. Jackson while they were there. How long was that? How long did that take? Just a few minutes. All right. Did you locate some scrubs for him? Yes, we did. Okay. And did you go get them? No, sir, I did not. Did somebody, was somebody sent for them? Yes, sir, someone was. All right. Where was Mr. Routier at that time? He was still down in the family room by the emergency department. That would be down on what floor? The basement. Okay. Had you seen him when you were down there to attend to the scuffle in the emergency room? I did not go to the scuffle in the emergency room. No, I know you didn't, but I had seen, he wasn't in the emergency room. He was in the family room, wasn't he? That's correct, but I didn't make it all the way down there. Well, the family room is next to the emergency room or in that area, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay, but it's not near the elevators. Okay, did you back into the pod? Yes, I did. Okay, and, or actually, I just kind of stood in the doorway. Was the doorway open? Yes, it was. Okay. And how about Mr. Patterson? What did he do? He went back around by her bedside. Okay. Where was he in relation to her bedside? Would you tell us where Mr. Patterson was? Near her feet. Not way down on the end, but on that. If she's laying on the bed, he was on her left side down towards the end of the bed. Okay. Not at the end of the bed, but the side over there. Were her feet covered? Yes, they were. What were they covered with? They were covered with a sheet. Okay. Did you see her hands? Yes, I did. Okay. Did you notice anything unusual about them? No, I did not. When I say unusual, I mean, were they, for example, bloody? No, they weren't. Okay. You're sure about that, I assume. You have fairly keen senses of observation? Yes, sir. You're sure about the hands being not bloody? Yes. That's something a trained investigator like you would remember, isn't it? I'm not an investigator, sir. Well, you're a trained patrol officer. Pardon? I'm a patrol officer. All right. Well, patrol officers investigate from time to time, don't they? Initially. Okay. But you're trained as an observer, aren't you? Yes, sir. In fact, that's what you were there for. You were there to learn, weren't you? Yes, sir. Okay, so you're telling us that you, you're telling this jury under oath, you remember her hands not being bloody. That's correct. Okay, do you remember any marks on her? She had bandages on her. Where did she have the bandages? 
on her neck and on her right arm. Okay. And where was the bandage on the right arm, if you recall? It was right about here. Okay. Have you seen photographs of it since? Yes, sir, I have. And who showed you those photographs? Prosecutor shook. Okay. When did he do that? I believe I saw them on Tuesday. This is Thursday. Yes, sir. Do you remember when it was Tuesday? Around noon at the YO? Yes, sir. Is that what you're is that where you're staying? Yes, sir. When did you come down here? Monday. Okay. In preparation for your testimony here today? Yes, sir. Okay. Have you had plenty of time? More than enough. All right. Had you seen the pictures at another at any other time? No, sir. Okay. Other than on TV. You've followed the case, have you not? Kept up with it. Well, just as a I mean, we understand it wasn't your investigation because you don't do investigations, but you felt like you were kind of a part of it. I was curious about it. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. Did you have occasion to observe her arms in any more detail other than the bandage? That was it. Okay. Would you notice, have noticed, if her if her arms were bloody? Yes, sir, I would have. Okay. And are you telling us that you at least eyeballed her arms and when she was describing the rings, she had her hands up? Okay. And that's when you could see that her hands weren't bloody? That's correct. And you remember that? Yes, I do. Okay. And at the same time, you examined her arms with your well-trained eye. Is that right? Well, I was looking at her direction. Yes, sir. You don't know whether or not she had blood on her feet, do you? No, sir, I do not. Okay, now, how long when you went back in for the, what is this, the third time? I believe that's correct. Actually, the fourth time you went into the room, you left three times. Were you going back in now? I stayed more in the doorway, just waiting for the investigators to finish. And where would that, I get the impression this is a big room. Is it as wide as this room? Yes, sir. Okay, is it wider? I don't believe so. Well, that's curious. It's just the same width as this room? No, not exactly, but it looks approximately. So it was about square, was it? Back to where that man is? Just a little beyond those doors. Okay. Where was the room from where the, or the door to the room from where her bed was? Well, as you entered the doorway, her bed was there to the left. There's beds on either side, one here, one here, one there, and one there. Down the middle is a computer and a sink and all kinds of medical stuff. Okay, so the fourth time you entered the room, you, and at no time did you say, hey, fellows, I'm here to learn. Could you bring me up to date on what's going on? No, I did not. Okay, and how long were you in there the fourth time you entered the room? Until they came close to finishing up. Uh, probably about the amount of time. It was probably at least 30 minutes while we were up there. Okay, all right. You're saying from start to finish, it was probably 30 minutes. Is that right? I believe so. Yes, sir. Okay. And you were there whatever time it took until they finished up. Yes, sir. Okay. Did Mrs. Routier, did she cooperate with them? Yes, she was very cooperative. Okay. Was she pleasant to them? Yes, she was. 
Okay, how long was Sheila Jackson in the room with y'all? I'm not sure the length of time that she was in there. Okay, like I said, when I left, so I don't know if she remained in there or not, or if she left or not, so I really don't know. Okay, was she there when you got back? She was on that floor. What does that mean? Well, she was still in that ICU unit. I don't know if she was particularly in... If you're referring to the first time, she was still in the room. And then the other times after that, we were out in the hallway together. But I do not know the amount of time she spent in the room. Okay, did she... When y'all initially came up there, was she a part of the group that came up? She was already in the room. She was in the room? Yes, sir. Okay, and was she in the room when you left to tend to the emergency? Yes, sir. Okay. Was she in the room when you got back? She was still in the room at that time. Yes. Okay. Was she still in the room when you left the next time? As a matter of fact, you left to go out in the hall to talk to her, didn't you? Right. We went out there. Did she motion you out or did she call you out or we just went out there? Did you indicate to her you wanted to go in the hall or did she indicate to you that she wanted you to go in the hall? I believe there was another staff member in the hallway that needed something from Mrs. Jackson. So she went out and then I went out. Okay, did she call you out? I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out. No, she didn't. I mean, you just went out to, you weren't really interested in what was going on in the pod. So you went out. She's your boss. Is she your boss? No, she's not. Okay. She's just a fellow administrator and just another employee. Yes. Okay. So you just decided that you'd go out and needed to take care of the hospital business. And our hospital business is dealing with the media when they arrived. That's part of your business too? Yes, it is. What do you do with the media? We have specific areas that the media can come to. And so upon arrival, we check with them, make sure that they're aware of it and make sure that they stay in the areas that they're supposed to. You don't, it's not your job to release information to them. That's correct. Have you been down to the courthouse there in Dallas? Many times. Have you been down there regarding this case? No, I have not. Have you been down there as a witness in cases before? Yes, sir, I have. Okay. And were you called down there by the district attorney's office? Are you referring to this case or any other? No, I'm just talking about case in general. Yes, sir. Okay. You've worked with them, the security police out at Baylor, don't you? Baylor has their own police department. No, I know it, but... You've worked for the district attorney's office like you work for the Dallas police and other police agencies, do you not? That's correct. I mean, that's part of your job, isn't it? To cooperate with these different agencies? Yes, sir. And about how many times have you been down to the district attorney's office on other matters? Countless times, a lot. I've been subpoenaed many times for, how long have you been with the Baylor police? I've been with Baylor six years. And prior to that, I was with Dallas County Sheriff's Office for four and a half. Okay, where did you work in the Sheriff's Office? I was a detention officer and I worked at intake, but there was numerous times while I was in intake that I had to go as a witness. Okay, so on important cases. Okay, detention, is that sworn personnel? No, sir. Okay, 
When did you leave the Dallas Sheriff's Office as a detention officer? July of 90. July of 90? Yes, sir. And you went directly to Baylor. That's correct. Had lined up the job before you left? Yes, I did. Okay. Had you known Officer Patterson or Frosch before this? I did not know them personally. I had never seen Detective Patterson. Detective Frosch, I had recognized as we went through the police academy about the same time. Okay. How long is that academy? Is that a nine-week program? It was an 11 and a half week. Okay. So you recognized him from the training, 11 and a half week training program that you had been in. I recognized him from being at the regional police academy. Okay. Mr. Mulder then says, I believe that is all. Thank you. Mr. Toby Shook says nothing further. And then the court tells the witness they can step down. At this point, Jody Kotner takes the stand. And again, we begin with Mr. Toby Shook uh, with the prosecution, who begins with the questioning. Would you tell us your name and spell your last name for the court reporter? Jody Roselle Kotner, last name is C-O-T-N-E-R. And how are you employed? I'm the trauma coordinator at Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. Okay, how long have you been at Baylor Hospital? I've been there 11 and a half years. Okay, and tell the jury your educational and professional training that you have for the position you hold. Okay, I have two bachelor's degrees, one in an unrelated field, and I have a bachelor of science in nursing from Baylor University School of Nursing. I am certified as a provider or an instructor in pre-hospital trauma life support, basic life support, advanced cardiac life support, trauma nurse support course, and advanced trauma life support. I have received specialty training through the Texas Department of Health, Emergency Nurses Association, the America Trauma Society, the Texas Department of Transportation, the U.S. Department of Transportation, and the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration. Okay, and you are the trauma coordinator. Yes, sir, I am. Okay, tell the jury what your duties are as a trauma coordinator. As trauma coordinator, I have a lot of different duties or jobs. I'm a registered nurse and I do hold a Texas license. I am a part of what is called a trauma team, which is a team of physicians, nurses, and ancillary personnel that are activated anytime a major trauma comes into the emergency department. That's part of what I do. I don't actually work in the emergency department. I'm just part of this team. I work with the trauma physicians. I work with the trauma patient, the injured patient, and the injured patient's family. I spend quite a lot of time making sure everybody understands what's going on. When people are from out of town, I hook them up with social service to be sure that they have a place to stay. And we hook them up with the chaplains. Just, I have a lot of different things that I do. I make rounds every morning on all the trauma patients. Are you a little nervous, Ms. Kotner? I am very nervous. The court then says, just calm down. The witness says, I'm sorry. The court says, just calm down. Mr. Toby Shook then continues with his questioning. Just listen to the question and try to be as calm as you can. If you don't understand 
any of our questions, we'll be glad to repeat them. Okay? Okay. If you need anything, you can just ask Judge Toll. How long have you been a trauma coordinator? Five years. And what position did you have at Baylor before that? Uh, Prior to that, I spent five and a half, six years as a nurse and a supervisor in the surgical intensive care unit there at Baylor Hospital. After that, I worked for about a year in the emergency department as a staff nurse and then got this position that I have now. Okay, and the trauma unit, I guess, you take the patients after they've been operated on or cared for out of the emergency room. Is that right? I respond to the emergency department with the trauma team with the physicians. Okay. I act as a third nurse in the room and I do actual patient care if necessary. Mostly I play gopher, you know, go get blood or whatever needs to be done. Okay. So your entire 11 years is, I guess, is that you have either been in the emergency room or surgical end of the emergency room or in the trauma unit itself. That's correct. Okay. Let me ask you if you came on duty on June 6th, 1996. Yes, sir. And about what time did you get to the hospital that day? I usually arrive anywhere from 7.45 to 8.30. Okay, had you been notified earlier in the morning that there was a case coming in that might need your attention? During the night, the trauma beepers had gone off. And when I'm not in the hospital, I usually just call the emergency room to find out, you know, what kind of patient it is and was told that we had two patients coming in by ground that were stab wounds. Okay. And when you got to the hospital, did you learn more information at that time? Yes, sir. Okay. On the trauma unit itself, did you receive a new patient in regards to that call? Yes, sir. Okay. About, do you recall what time that patient arrived on the floor? I was not there when she arrived. Okay, you got there after she was there already. Yes, sir. She was, yes, sir. Okay, first, let me show you what's been marked as States Exhibit 53-C. Are those copies of the Baylor records concerning Darlie Routier? Yes, sir. Okay, did you come in contact with Miss Routier soon after you arrived? Yes, sir. Okay. And did you come in contact with her in regards, well, with your duties as trauma coordinator? Yes, sir. Okay. Where was she when you first saw her? She was in bed 29 in 4 North ICU. Okay. And tell the jurors, how is the ICU set up? How are those patients put in rooms? Okay. At Baylor, we have multiple intensive care units and they are specialized units like cardiac or thoracic surgery, whatever. And for North is a 16 bed unit that is general surgery, neurotrauma, neurosurgery and general trauma. Okay, and the patients there, do they have, how many nurses do you have to each patient? We have one nurse to two patients. Okay, do they keep, well, how much supervision, how often do they attend to a patient when they are in that particular unit? The patient, if you're in the intensive care unit, you have a nurse in your room all the time, okay? It's not like when someone is taken to the hospital, you call the nurse if you need something or they come around once in a while. No, sir, there is a nurse. The rooms have four beds per room. 
So there are two nurses assigned to each room. So there's always a nurse in the room. About what time did you meet Miss Routier? Do you recall? Sometime in the morning, in the early morning, after I got there, my routine is just to go through the unit, check the patients that were already there, the old trauma patients, and then see if there are any new patients that are there. And let me ask you this. Do you see Mrs. Routier in the courtroom today? Yes, sir, I do. Would you point her out, please? Is she sitting over here? The woman here in the green plaid dress? Yes, sir. Then Mr. Toby Shook says, Your Honor, if the record could reflect, the witness has identified the defendant. And the court says, Yes, sir. He then continues his questioning. Did you introduce yourself to Mrs. Routier? Yes, sir, I did. What was her condition at the time that you first met her? She was awake, alert, in the bed, just, you know, laying in the intensive care unit. Did you have a conversation with her at that time? Yes, sir, I did. Was she able to understand what you were saying? I believe so. Yes, sir. Y'all didn't have any trouble communicating with one another. No, sir. Over your years there at Baylor, I guess you have seen a lot of patients that have come out of surgery recently. Is that right? Yes, sir. Did Mrs. Routier, did she seem to have, be suffering from grogginess, from the anesthesia or anything like that? Not that I recall. No, sir. Okay. Did she seem fully awake and alert? Yes. Okay. Now, as part of your duties, did you ask her questions? Yes, I did. Okay. In fact, did you inquire about why she was there? Yes, sir, I did. Okay. What did you ask her? I introduced, well, first I looked at her chart and then I introduced myself to her. I told her who I was and what I did. And I kind of explained to her what I was there for to be sure that, you know, she sees the doctors or the doctors talk to them every day. And as part of my job, I did ask her, do you know what happened? Can you tell me what happened to you? What did she tell you? She told me that she and her sons had been stabbed, that she had chased a gentleman through the house into the garage and that she had picked up the knife in the garage. Okay. Did she say where she was when she was stabbed? Downstairs in the living room. Okay. Did you meet with her periodically throughout the day? Yes, sir, I did. Was she allowed to have her family and friends in there with her in the room? Oh, yes. Did she have numerous friends and family with her throughout the day? Yes, sir, she sure did. And were you in and out of the room the entire day? I was in and out of the room multiple times on multiple different occasions. Okay, did you have another occasion later on in the day to talk to her about what had happened? Yes, sir, I did. Did she give you some more details about what had happened? Yes, sir, she did. Okay, what was that? She told me that Damon, the little one, she had woke up. He was shaking her and saying mommy or mama and woke her up. And she, when she woke up, there was blood and that they had been hurt. And she got up to go to the kitchen or something and he followed her and she told him to lay down. Okay, do you recall anything else she told you at that time? I believe Darren was in the room at that time. And when you say Darren, you're talking about Darren, her husband? Yes, sir. Okay. And I believe that's the occasion when he said, that's when I must have heard you scream or I heard you screaming and I woke and it woke me up or something along those lines. Okay. And what did she say in response to that? 
No, you didn't. Okay. Now, later on, did you try to coordinate some type of rape exam? Yes, sir, I did. Why was there a rape exam being conducted or going to be conducted? I don't know why it was brought up. I don't know if it's, I don't know who decided to do that. One of the residents asked me, how do we set up a rape exam for someone in the intensive care unit? And I called the emergency department and found out who the OBGYN was that was on call for the day was and set that up through Dr. Santos and Dr. Gogol. Okay. Now, did did you want to explain that procedure to Mrs. Routier? Yes, sir, I did. Okay. And what did you say to her? I tried to, I asked her if she understood what we were going to do. Did she understand what a rape exam was? I explained to her that we didn't do a full rape kit at Baylor Hospital because those are done at Parkland. But she, did she understand that it would be like, like a normal gyne exam? Was she okay with that? I had asked her, did she think she had been raped? What was her response when you asked her that? She told me something like, quote, well, when I woke up, I felt a pressure down there. Okay. Now you weren't present when any rape exam was done, were you? No, sir, I was not. Okay. At some point during the day, was the defendant's baby brought into her? Yes, Drake. Okay. And how old was he? I don't know, eight months old or so, seven or eight months old. Okay. And were you present when he was brought into the room? Yes, sir, I was. And what happened when he was brought into the room? Their neighbors, and I don't know their name, brought Drake into the intensive care unit. And they had kind of been waiting for a while because everybody had been talking about him coming. They gave him to Darren and Darren was holding him and she didn't want Drake. She had the big dressings on her arm and her neck. You're talking about the defendant? I'm sorry. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Okay. And she didn't want, she had IVs and stuff and she didn't want Drake to, you know, grab or pull it or be able to touch those dressings. And so when Darren tried to hand her to him, she didn't, you know, she didn't really want to hold him herself. Okay. And so I took him across. I was standing on one side of the bed and Darren was on the other. And so I took him and papoosed him, you know, how you do little kids and made him like a football kind of under my arm and leaned over the bed so that, you know, they could touch cheeks or, you know, she could kiss his cheek or something because he was, you know, like this, you know, wanting his mom, right? And she kind of turned her head, turned her head from him, away from him. What did you do then? I picked him up and kissed him and gave him back to Darren. Okay. And what was done with the baby then? Well, he was given, I believe, back to, I don't know if he handed him to the lady or the gentleman, and then they took him out into the waiting room. Okay. You've spent a whole lot of time in the emergency room and the trauma unit. Is that right? Yes, sir. You've seen a lot of different types of cases that come in there. Yes. Have you seen a lot of victims that have been involved or been assaulted with knives or sharp weapons? Yes, sir. Okay. Are you familiar with the term defensive wounds? Yes, sir, I am. Okay. Tell the jury what defensive wounds are in relation to like a stab wound. Yes. And I'm talking about stabbing. Okay. 
generally, if you're trying to defend yourself against someone who's, you know, trying to stab you, you will raise your arms or you will try to grab the knife away from them. And you see a lot of cuts across the palm of the hand or all of the fingers or the thumb will be cut. You see a lot of puncture type wounds to the back of the arm or to the hand because you usually defend yourself like this. You see a lot of them or just a few or how does it work? Well, it depends on the circumstances and it depends on the patient. And usually if someone is really, you know, put up a big fight, then there are a lot of wounds. Okay. These are things that you have seen just in the emergency room itself, basically in the emergency room and elsewhere. Okay. Now, I guess, how long were you there that day? On the 6th? Yes. I was probably there a good eight or 10 hours in and out of the defendant's room all day long, off and on. Yes, sir. Okay. Did you have a chance to see her and see the wounds she had received, where they were dressed and so forth? Yes, sir. Okay. At this point, Mr. John Hagler, part of the defense team stands up and says, while he's going through the exhibits, your honor will object on the fact that this witness has not been qualified as a forensic expert. We don't quarrel with her qualifications as a trauma nurse, but under rules 702 and 705, she is not qualified to give an expert opinion as to the type or nature of the wounds and whether or not they are defensive type wounds. The court then says overruled, go ahead. And Mr. Toby Shook continues his questioning. Let me show you some photographs. States exhibit 52-G and 52-H and 52-F. Do you recognize those photographs? Yes, sir. Is that how the defendant appeared in the trauma unit? Yes, sir. Okay. And do those appear to have been taken the day you were dealing with her? Yes, sir. Okay. Let me show you now what's been marked and entered into evidence as State's Exhibit 52-B. Is that also a photograph of the defendant? Yes, sir. Okay. Do you see the large bruise there on her right arm? Yes, sir. Okay. Have you seen bruises like that before in your 11 years experience as a nurse? Yes, sir. Okay. What type of bruising is that? It's a big bruise. That's almost a full arm bruise on the underneath side of her arm. It looks like some type of blunt trauma. And is blunt trauma when something very hard strikes the skin? Blunt trauma is like car wrecks or aggravated assault with a bat or something like that. Okay, and would you say that this is a little blunt trauma or a lot of blunt trauma? It's a pretty good blunt trauma. Okay, and as you said, it covers most of the arm, doesn't it? Most of the underside of the arm, yes, sir. Okay, and by looking at a bruise from your experience as a nurse, can you tell if there are older bruises, newer bruises, things like that? Bruises have different colorations. Okay, looking at that bruise in that particular photograph, does that look like it's been there a few days or more recent bruise or what? Can I look at it again? Let me show you another photograph also, okay? I mean, now looking at a bruise, you can't tell the exact age of it, can you? No, okay, but they have different shades of color. 
Well, older bruises have green and yellow. They start changing colors. Newer bruises are purple and red. And what color is that bruise? Purple and red. Okay. You observed Mrs. Routier all day during the 6th. Is that right? Yes, sir. Did you see any type of that injury on that arm, that right arm during that day? No, sir. And I changed the dressing on her arm. You personally changed the dressing? I changed the dressing on that arm. Okay. If she had received some blunt trauma, say at 2.30 in the morning on the 6th of June, do you think you would have seen evidence of that injury that would have caused that type of bruising? Absolutely. Okay. Is that something you can check for there in a trauma unit? This bruise is large enough that it would have been charted over and over and over. This is a massive bruise. Okay. That's something the nurses would chart in their charts. Yes, sir, it is. Would a bruise like that cause a lot of pain? A bruise like that would be very sore and very painful to the patient. Okay. You didn't see any evidence of injury that caused that bruise at all. I did not see this bruise. No, sir. Okay. You see that bruise is reddish and purple and red, purple and red. And that indicates what to you? That it's a fairly recent bruise. Okay. And when you say fairly recent, what do you mean? 24 hours, maybe 48, but no older than that. Okay. Now, as part of your duties as a trauma coordinator, do you deal with families that have may have to deal with families breaking the news of their relatives' deaths? Yes, sir, I do. Okay. Do you do that just a few times or often? I do that on a very regular basis. I see the families of my intensive care pa unit patients every day if I can catch them either in the unit or in the waiting room. Okay. And does that take some special finesse, I guess, maybe when you're dealing with people in that situation? Yes, sir. Okay. And when you were in the emergency room, did you have these same dealings with people? Yes. People that have lost relatives, people that have lost loved ones? Yes. Have you dealt with mothers that have lost their children? Yes, sir, I have. Have you had to tell mothers that their children have died? Yes, sir, I have. Children that are there in your unit and they come to your unit, have you had those situations? And they have died in the, in in the intensive care unit? Yeah, mothers that come to the intensive care unit to see their children and they die while they're in your care. Yes, sir. And also, have you treated or have you had mothers there being treated in the unit and their children may have died in an accident with them or something like that? Yes, sir. Have you done that on few or many occasions? Many occasions. Okay. What is the reaction usually of a mother that has lost a child? People who lose their children have a wide range of emotions, but mothers are inconsolable, basically. Okay. You see everything from absolutely being hysterical, falling on the floor, screaming, crying, and you do have some people that are very stoic, but you know, their knuckles are white and you know, you can tell that they're really hanging on to everything just to be able to survive the minute. Okay. They react somewhat differently. Is that right? Everybody is an individual. Yes, sir. Okay. But are they all inconsolable? Mothers, mothers are, 
It doesn't matter if her kid is three or 53, you're still their mother and they're still inconsolable. Okay. Did you have the chance in dealing with the defendant on that day to check her emotions and see how she was dealing with the loss of her sons? Yes, sir, I did. Could you describe her emotional reaction? Darley was kind of withdrawn. She didn't cry very often, detached. She just wasn't very emotional, not over, overtly emotional. And not the emotions that you usually see with the mother. Not typically, no. Not the inconsolable emotions you see. That's correct. Now, were some of her other relatives there? Yes, sir, they were. Her mother, yes. Whose name is Darley Key, I believe. Yes, sir. Her sister? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. What were their reactions? Oh, they were, bless their hearts, they were hysterical. I probably held her little sister. I have forgotten her name. Her mom, her mother-in-law, one of the ladies that was a neighbor, they cried and they cried and they cried. Is that the reaction you normally see? That's a typical reaction. Yes, sir. Have you ever seen the reaction that you were seeing in the defendant in any of your previous experiences? Not in my experience, no, sir. Okay. Mr. Toby Shook then says, that's all the questions I have, judge. And the court then says, Mr. Mulder and Mr. Douglas Mulder. Of course, Darley's defense team gets up and begins his cross-examination. Mrs. Cotner, of course, that doesn't mean that Darley was not grieving, does it? No, sir. Okay, and you, the grieving process is an individual process, is it not? Yes, sir, it is. There are stages of grief. Sure, and one of those is anger, is it not? Yes, sir. Okay, and you, I take it, had never met Darley Routier prior to June 6th of 1996. No, sir. And would it not be fair to say that those who were closest to her would be in a better position than you to evaluate her grief and grieving. They know her better. Sure. And that makes sense, doesn't it? They know her better. Yes, sir. Sure. Okay. Now, you had given us your opinion with respect to defensive wounds, for example. Yes, sir. And of course, you aren't saying that this is not a defensive wound, are you? That's not typically where we see a defensive wound, well, it depends, and I would guess, and again, I don't propose to have the expertise that you do, but I do suspect that it would depend on the position that the person defending themselves was in at the time they were attacked, would it not? Yes, sir. And whether you saw one or whether you saw 101 would be more up to the attacker than it would be to the person who was being attacked, would it not? It would depend on how much of a struggle there was. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, and that's generally dictated by the person, the assailant, the person doing the attacking. Is it not the aggressor? I assume so. Well, I mean, you don't have to assume. I mean, anybody that is a nurse knows that, don't they? Well, in fact, anybody that can come in out of the rain knows that, don't they? Mr. Toby Shook then says, well, Judge... I'm going to object to that. The court then says overruled. Let's phrase your questions properly. Mr. Shook says that's improper. The court says, thank you. Go ahead. Mr. Mulder then says, you know, that is true, don't you? That it depends on the attacker? Sure. Not the person being attacked? 
Well, it could. Yes, sir. Okay. Now, did you make any notes, Mrs. Cotner? No, sir, I did not. Is there a reason for that? I do not do direct patient care in the intensive care unit. But yet you did. You changed the dressing on her injuries. Part of my job is to assist the trauma physicians in what they're doing. And at the time, I was assisting one of the physicians, looking at the wound, checking on it, and I redressed it at his request. Okay. And I would think, again, you're the expert in this, but I would think that part of the nurse's responsibility would be to chart for the doctors anything unusual that you see. The nurses are responsible for charting their stuff. The doctors are responsible for charting their stuff. Okay. When you see something ordinary, no point in charting that. Is that right? And your definition of ordinary? Well, I mean, you chart the unusual, don't you? Well, don't you want to alert the doctor to the unusual or anything that you think is unusual? Yes, sir. I mean, that's the whole purpose of charting. So the doctor can look and see if the patients, I mean, there's anything unusual about this particular patient, isn't it? Charting is so you know what happened to the patient while they were in the hospital. Okay, well, did you review her chart? No, sir, I did not. Okay, that's not within the purview of your duties. It is, I have my own. I keep a trauma registry, a database on all the trauma patients, and I acquire my own information. And I only get that information out of the chart that I need for that purpose. Okay, you're, as I take it, really more than treatment. You're kind of, I guess for lack of a better word, kind of a PR person. For the trauma patients, I coordinate their care. I make sure the patient sees the doctor or the family sees the doctor or coordinate between all of the different specialties to be sure that the patient and their family have the information that they need. Okay, would it be Baylor gets sued, don't you? Hospitals get sued? The hospital, yes, sir. I don't single Baylor out, but I guess all hospitals get sued, don't they? Yes, sir. Isn't that your experience? Yes, sir. And it gets sued. I guess they get sued for negligence on the part of the nurses and negligence on the part of the doctors. Isn't that generally what you're sued for? There are a lot of reasons people sue hospitals. Well, one of them, all right, one of them is that they allege, and I'm not saying it's true, and I'm just talking generalities, but they allege negligence on the part of the caregivers at the hospital. Do they not? Some do, yes, sir. Okay, that's the most frequent is it not? I do not know that answer. Well, that is frequent though, is it not? Well, maybe not the most frequent, but it's frequent that you sue for negligence on the part of the care providers, is it not? I've never been sued. Well, I'm not talking about you in particular. Well, you said you, I'm sorry. Okay, well, you're talking about you as a representative of Baylor. We've been talking about the hospital. I'm not saying that somebody sued you or somebody is going to sue you, but has it been your experience? How long have you been a nurse? 11 and a half years. Well, haven't you seen a lot of lawsuits that have come through in the various hospitals? There are lawsuits, yes, sir. And one of the primary reasons is negligence on the part of the care providers. Is it not? I don't know. Is that one of the reasons? Have you ever heard that? Yes, sir. I'm sure that's one of the reasons. Okay, well, don't y'all carry malpractice insurance? 
The hospital carries malpractice insurance. Yes, sir. They carry it on you, don't they? Yes, sir, they do. Okay. And in some places, the nurses have to have their own policies, don't they? Some nurses do choose to carry their own malpractice insurance. Okay. Because they don't want to be sued. Or if they are sued, they want the insurance company to come in and defend them on Mr. Shook then says, judge, I'm going to object to relevance. The court then says, overruled, go ahead. Mr. Mulder then says, isn't that right? I'm not sure I understand the last question. Okay, well, I assume the reason they take malpractice insurance is because if they get accused of being negligent with respect to the care that they're providing, they want the insurance company to come in and defend them and pay the damages if there are damages. Is that not fair to say? You carry malpractice insurance to protect yourself. Okay, would it be, in your judgment, malpractice or negligence for nurses not to see and chart evidence of trauma and bruises? Negligence. Well, would that be negligent? We chart those injuries that we note. Okay, well, I mean, people get sued for negligence because they didn't do something when they were supposed to. They owed somebody a duty because they were charging them money to take care of them and they didn't handle that obligation. That's why they're sued for negligence. Because they didn't discharge the duty that they owed the patient, for example, in the case of a nurse or doctor, right? I guess so. Okay, and in your professional opinion, would it be negligence for a nurse not to know bruising such as that on the chart? It would probably be noted, yes, sir. That's not my question. I am saying if it was not noted, would that be negligence on the part of the nurse who failed to note it? At this point, again, Mr. Toby Shook says, Judge, I'm going to object. He's going into legal conclusions. The court then says, sustain that objection. Objection. Mr. Mulder says, Judge, the court says, she can state what she knows, but no legal conclusions. Let's ask the next question. Mr. Mulder then says, well, my next question was based on her answer to this question. And the court says, well, ask it. Mr. Richard Mosty, who is an assistant to Mr. Mulder, says, may we address the court on this issue? The court says, you may certainly address the court on this issue. Mr. Toby Shook, again, part of the prosecution team, says, are we going to address it in front of the jury or outside? Mr. Mulder says, either way you want to do it. The court says, come on up here. Mr. Mosty says, you're in charge. The court says, come on up, whatever you want to say. And then the court says, all right, let's take a 10 minute break, please. Thank you. And so the judge then sends the jury out for about 10 minutes and then they go back on the record and the court says, all right, let's go on the record, please. Please be seated in the courtroom. Let the record reflect. These proceedings are being held outside the presence of the jury and all parties of the trial are present. What was your question, Mr. Mulder? And he says, Judge, let's get the witness back here, Ms. Cotner. The court says, Mr. Mulder. Mr. Mulder then says, can we get her back here? And the court then says, sure, all right. If you will have a seat, please, ma'am. And then the witness says, yes, sir. The court says, all right. And what was your question? And then Mr. Mulder says, well, I asked her if it would be negligence on the part of the nurse or nurses who were attending to Mrs. Routier if they failed to chart a bruise that existed. And I held up an exhibit to show her what it was I was talking about. Court says, okay. And the state had an objection. Mr. Mulder then says, and she said her answer was that they charted all of the 
whatever. That wasn't my question. Mr. Shook says, well, judge, court says, all right, the court and your objection was that that calls for a legal conclusion. And Mr. Toby Shook says, right, judge. Court says, all right, the court holds that it does call for a legal conclusion. I will not let that question be asked. I sustain the objection. If she wants to answer that, they chart everything, that's fine, but I'm not going to have her make a decision on negligence. Mr. Mosty, again, defense team, we submit that that's, the court then says, you may have a running objection on this if you wish. Mr. Mosty says, well, I would like to point out that our basis for offering this is under rule 701 through 705 under the rules of criminal evidence regarding testimony of expert witnesses. She's shown to be qualified in the area of nursing. The state asked her a number of questions about her expertise as a nurse. And so this is an area within her area of expertise as a nurse of what is the proper standard of care of a nurse. And the question is, does it meet the proper standard of care for a reasonably prudent nurse? She is qualified to answer that. The court then says, but you want her to say whether it's negligence or not. It's the same ruling and you may have a running objection. Mr. Mulder then says, well, judge, no one. I mean, this isn't done as a prelim to some lawsuit or anything. I simply want to know if that's evidence of bad nursing, if a bruise is there and it's not charted. Mr. Mosty says the question is simply, would it fall below the standard of care of a nurse? Is it bad nursing? And the court says, well, I would ask, if you ask the question that way, I'll let you do it, but not as regards to negligence. You know the exact words you can use. Mr. Mulder says, how do you want me to ask that judge? The court then says, does it fall below the standard of care for proper nursing? And Mr. Mulder says, well, that's not what we're even concerned about. And the court says, well, that's what you said it was. Mr. Mosty says, bad nursing. Mr. Mulder then says, well, I just want to know simply, and I guess I can rephrase it, but I... What I want to know, if that's evidence of bad nursing, you know, if you failed to chart something like that, like I said, this isn't done as a prelim to any lawsuit. The court then says, well, negligence is a legal conclusion. The ruling remains the same as regards to negligence. I'll sustain the objection if you want to rephrase the question. Mr. Mulder then says, maybe I can ask her if it's unprofessional. Would that be all right? The court then says, you may want to rephrase your question. All right, thank you. Let's finish up our five minute break. And then the court uh, then brings in the rest of the jury and the questioning by Mr. Mulder continues. Mrs. Cotner, if one of your folks at Baylor Hospital or I guess any nurse at any other hospital for that matter had failed to note bruises, would that be less than is expected of a nurse, a registered nurse. You're speaking of large bruises. I'm saying that you told us earlier that if someone had sustained trauma to that extent, that you would expect there to be some evidence of that within what period of time? The bruise on the picture? Yes. That should show up very quickly. Within the first couple of hours, you should see the beginnings of the bruise. What exactly would you see? When you have a large bruise, or a bruise that is covering a large area or even just a small bruise, you will begin to see skin discoloration almost immediately. Sometimes you will see 
just see a very red area, depending if there's a lot of bleeding into the soft tissue from the bruise, or if it is going to cause a bruise, you'll see it develop very quickly. Were her arms bloody, Darley's arms bloody when you first saw her? She had an IV in one arm and a large dressing on the other arm. I don't mean to split hairs with you, but I asked you if her arms were bloody. I did not see in the beginning her arm itself. It was covered with a bandage. She did have some blood on her hands around the cuticles on her fingers. Just around the cuticles and on her palms, she had an IV in her left arm, her left hand, excuse me, did she have any kind of monitor on her left wrist? At one point, she had a left radial art line. When was that? That would have been while she was in surgery. It was in the chart. I read it. I don't know if she had it when I first saw her or if I just noted that, that that had been one of the procedures done to her. Okay, but you're saying she didn't have blood on her arms. Is that right? No, sir. I'm saying I don't know. If she had blood, a lot of blood on her arms because she had a large bandage on one arm and she had an IV and had been prepped in the other arm. Okay, you have looked at these pictures, haven't you? States Exhibit number 52-H? Yes, sir. And States Exhibit 52-F? Yes, sir. Does she have blood on her arm in that picture? Yes, sir, she does. Okay, I would think if, you know, again... If I were a nurse and looking at a person with a slit throat and some stab wounds, I don't know whether I would be looking for bruises or not. Yes, sir, you would. But if I were, I think I would have the presence of mind to clean the blood off somebody so that I could make a sure enough examination and I would know one way or the other then. One of the most important things is evidence collection, and we are very careful not to destroy any evidence. Well, how do you know, for example, on Stacey Exhibit number 52, if there isn't some bruising beginning right there on her elbow? That appears to be dried blood, sir. Well, I know it does, but there could be some bruising under the blood, couldn't there? Not, couldn't it be? No chance? That does not look like that to me, sir. All right. How about 52-H? Does that, you said that a bruise when it first begins to form will show maybe a reddish color? Yes, sir. Does that appear to be on the same arm? That is, this is her right arm. She has an IV and an art line in her left arm. Are you talking about here? Yes, up there. Can't you see that reddish color there? It looks like somebody drew blood from the here. No, inside that, up on her arm. No, that is how it looked later on. Yes, sir. Okay. Of course, you know, I suspect when she was discharged from Baylor, don't you? I did not see her after she left the intensive care unit. Do you know when she was discharged from Baylor? I believe she was discharged the next day within the next 24 to 48 hours. After you saw her within the next 24 hours? 24 to 48 hours. I'm not sure which day she was discharged. Okay. Unlikely that she received that sort of trauma there at Baylor, isn't it? Yes. Okay. And do you have experience in dealing with people who have received bruises? Yes, sir. Okay. 
Can you tell us in your judgment, and this appears to be a photograph, does it not, of someone's right arm? The underside of the right arm. Okay. Approximately how old are those bruises? This bruise appears to me to be 24 hours old. 24 hours old. Somewhere around 24 hours. Maybe a little more or maybe a little less. Not about 20. Maybe a little more maybe a little less. Well, it could be as little as 12 hours old. Yes, sir. It could be as little as eight hours old. Maybe. Could it be as old as 36 hours or 48 hours? Possibly. Okay, so you're saying that it's somewhere between eight hours and could it be as many as 52 hours? No, sir. Oh, it can't be 52 hours, but it could be 48 hours. Well, this bruise is turning red, still turning red around the edges here. There isn't a green discoloration or yellow discoloration. So this bruise is not more than a couple days old. All right. Well, you said it could be as little as eight hours old or as much as 48 hours old. Somewhere around those numbers. Yes. You can't date it exactly. How about the bruise on the left arm? States exhibit number 52 is that an M on there? It looks like a JM, doesn't it? 52 something? Yes, sir, I think so. Okay, how about the bruises shown in on this arm? Yes, on her left arm. Uh-huh. This bruise on her left arm appears to be as a result of her left radial art line. It's purple in the middle and it's turning yellow and green on the outside. Oh, so you're saying that that's a result of what Baylor did to her. Well, didn't you say that this could be the result of her arterial line? Well, I'm not fussing with you. No, I know. I'm just telling you. I'm just asking how long. It could be. I can't say that this is something that someone at Baylor did to her. Okay. All I can say that this is possibly from her art line. Okay, are you saying that in your expert opinion, do you think that that was occasioned by some of the treatment there at Baylor? Well, either by the IV or by the, the insertion of the art line? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying this could be the result of the arterial line. Yes, sir. All right, it could be, all right. That is one thing that could have caused it, right? Yes, sir. The arterial line that was hooked up to her while she was in surgery? Yes, sir. It monitors her blood pressure. Okay. Do you know whether or not she was hooked up by Wilgus after she got out of surgery? No, sir, I do not. Okay. Would that show on her chart? It should be charted on arrival to the intensive care unit where her IVs were and whether or not she had an art line and what the position was. We also chart when the dressing is changed. Can you tell us how old these bruises are? Well, they are several days old. Okay, so if these were taken on the 10th and she was discharged on the 7th or 8th, these could be as many as 72 hours old. Well, yes, sir. Okay, and is there some reason that these were caused there by the arterial line or by the IV that they aren't charted? I'm not sure I understand your question. Well, maybe I can state it a little more artfully. 
but I thought you said if you saw a bruise like this, would you chart it? I would. Yes, sir. Okay. It should be charted. Is that what you're saying? Yes, sir. And there may be nurses that disagree with you. Well, you're the final word. I'm the final word for me. Okay. You said I would chart it. Yes, sir. I would. If I pulled her art line and she developed a bruise like that, it would be charted. All right. Would you expect it to be charted or not? Yes, sir. I would expect it to be to appear in the charting that there was bruising. But we don't have any assurance of that, do we? That all of the other nurses are as conscientious as you or as observant as you. Well, it's practice in the intensive care units to know just about everything. And ICU nurses are pretty notorious for that. Okay, let me just ask it this way. Are you telling me that if you're saying that there's a possibility that this is a result of the IV or the art line or the arterial line or the arterial line, that's where her right radial art line, her left radial art line was, excuse me. Matter of fact, you can still see the hole there in her wrist. Yes, sir, you sure can. But you're telling me that if this was done at Baylor, you would expect it to be charted. Yes, sir, I would. If that appeared while she was in the hospital, it would have been charted. Okay. Could it have happened in the hospital and then appear later? I don't believe so. Okay. Would this bruising show fairly soon? Yes, sir, I would. Within how many hours? Pretty close to immediately if it's from an arterial bleed. If the art line leaked or if there was some bleeding there, you would note that there was blood under the skin. But you said this could be as many hours old as 72. Well, it could be several days old. Okay, it's a pretty iffy process, I guess. Just determining when a particular bruise was occasioned there. It's an iffy situation. If we said 8 to 48 hours in one case and we say up to three days in another. Yes, sir. Anywhere from immediately to three days. The bruise. I'm sorry. The bruise. The bruise. On the left arm? On the left arm? Yes. You would have, if that is from her arterial line, you would have started seeing it pretty close to when they pulled the art line in the intensive care unit. Okay. And of course, you didn't see any evidence of that. No, sir. Did you look for that? No, sir. Okay. Does that mean that it may have been there and you may not have seen it? That's correct. Okay. Just like the blood on her arm. You may not have seen that. I did not see the blood on the arm after I removed the dressing. Yes. Okay. Have you written any kind of statement or report about what you have testified here? No, sir. Okay. Did you come down Monday with the rest of the hospital personnel from Baylor? Yes, sir. Okay. And I don't guess y'all discussed your testimony or anything, did you? No, sir. Have you met with the other nurses? I see them every day at work. Well, no, you see them every day here too, don't you? Yes. Well, when did you first see these photographs, Miss Cutner? The photographs of the bruises? The photographs I've been showing you, yes. Tuesday night, okay. Is that when you were first asked about the bruises? Yes, sir. It was, you're talking about just two days ago? Yes, sir. Had you been, you have been questioned and told what you were expected to testify down here. Had you not? I have been talked to, yes. 
I mean, you knew what they were going to talk to you about down here, didn't you? Yes, sir. I mean, they asked you questions before, didn't they? Yes, sir. And went over your testimony with you, didn't they? Yes, sir. Okay, and, but you're saying that at no time prior to Tuesday, did they ever discuss any bruises with you? Is that right? Not specifically, no, sir. Okay, who was present when you had your discussions with the district attorney's office? Mr. Shook and Mr. Basillo. Okay, and how many times did you talk with them? Three, three times, I believe so, yes, sir. Okay, was that all in Dallas? No, sir. You talked to them down here, I know on Tuesday, other than Tuesday? Down here? Yes, yes, sir. Well, I said other than Tuesday. Yes, sir. You have talked to them other than Tuesday? Yes, sir. Monday? No, no, sir. Yesterday, today? Today. Well, you got down here Monday night, didn't you? Yes, sir. Okay, so you talked to them today about it? Yes, sir. Okay. Did you talk about the bruises today again? No, sir. Just talked about the bruises Tuesday? Yes, sir. Okay. And that's when you saw either these photographs or photographs like them? Yes, sir. Who was it that showed you the photographs? Mr. Shook. Okay. And was anyone present with Mr. Shook at the time? Yes. Who? Mr. Basillo was in the room. Any of the other nurses? I think so. Well, we have met with them, you know, in and out. I mean, you know, you pass as you're going in and out and stuff. Well, I understand that, but part of your training is observation, isn't it? Yes. Okay. And you would know if there were other nurses in there with you, I assume, when you're going through the pictures, wouldn't you? Well, it's hard to remember every little thing and who is where you are every single time something happens. I believe some of the other nurses, I believe some, I believe so. Well, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but as a matter of fact, you were there with the other nurses and you were going through the pictures, weren't you? Mr. Shook was there and his investigator, one of his four or five investigators were there. Yes, sir. Was Dr. Santos there? I don't think so. You know Dr. Santos, don't you? Yes, sir, I do. Okay. At this point, Mr. Mulder says, I believe that's all. Thank you. And then Mr. Toby Shook gets up for his um, redirect examination. Ms. Cotner, is there a difference between a bruise caused by blunt trauma and this arterial line? Usually when you have a bruise from something like an arterial line or some type of puncture wound, you also have an accompanying hematoma or swelling, you know, where the blood gathers under the skin. So there's a little difference that way. Yes, sir. Okay. You talked about when you took the dressing off, you did see blood on the defendant's arm. Is that right? Yes, sir. Is that dried blood? Yes, sir. Mr. Mulder then objects and says, judge, we'll object to, the, to leading. And the court then says, sustained. Let's phrase our questions the right way, please. Mr. Shook says, what type of blood was that? On her right arm? Yes, it was dried blood. And you said, was some evidence collected during the day while you were there? Yes, sir. Who collected that? There was a Rowlett police officer that came and I guess I need to explain that we had decided to clean her up and we weren't sure that all the evidence had been collected because in any types of an incident where there is some type of an assault, 
you want to be sure that you don't destroy the evidence. We had, and we had started, not me, but someone had started to clean her up and then hollered at me and asked me, do you know if everything has been done yet? And had saved the wash rag where she had started washing her hands. And so I called the Raleigh Police Department just to be sure that we could go ahead and clean her up. And they asked us to wait. And since they were, that they were going to come and do some fingernail scrapings and collect, you know, fingerprints, they wanted to fingerprint Darley and Darren. And so I went back and told the nurse not to bathe her and that they were going to come. And I told Darley and Darren that they were going to come back and that they, what they wanted to do and were they okay with that? And did they understand what was going on? And did they have any questions? Okay, was that evidence collected? Yes, sir. That day? Yes, sir. Okay. And that's why you stopped the cleaning of the arm and the hands. Yes, sir. Okay. And then later in the day, the medical examiner came and asked Darlie if she could take some pictures and look at her wounds. And that's when we took off the dressing on her neck and they took some pictures and stuff. Okay. Mr. Shook then says, that's all the questions I have, judge. Mr. Mulder then gets up and does a recross examination. Who was it, Nurse Cotner, who bathed her and cleaned her up? I do not know who gave her her bath. Would that be on the chart? Yes, sir, it should be. Okay. And were you there when they gathered evidence, as you said? I was in the room when they were fingerprinting them. Okay. And when the medical examiner was there, did the medical examiner take pictures? There was a lady with her that did. And what sort of pictures were those? Were they Polaroids? Do you know a Polaroid camera when you see one? Yes, sir, I do. Were they Polaroid pictures? I don't remember. I don't remember if they were Polaroids or if it was a regular camera. Do you remember about what time they came and took those pictures? The medical examiner? Yes, it was in the afternoon. Okay, and just so I'm clear on this, and I promise you I won't get into it anymore, but are you saying that you, in your opinion, the bruising to her left arm was a result of the either the IV or the arterial line. I'm saying the bruising in her left arm could be the result of the arterial line. Okay, well, I mean, that isn't, but you don't have an opinion that that's what it is. Well, it's possible. Well, there are lots of things that are possible. It's possible that somebody could have snuck in there and done something to her, but it's not very probable. I mean, is that your opinion? I don't care. I just want to know where you stand. It's a possibility. I do not know if that's what caused it or not. You talk about along with a dozen other possibilities, a lot of things cause bruises. Okay. Does it seem to you unlikely that she would receive bruises on both arms, substantial bruises, such as are displayed in States Exhibit 52. Does it seem unusual to you that she would receive substantial bruising like that at separate times? Mr. Toby Shugden says, Judge, I'm going to object to speculation. The court then says overruled. He is going to ask the question again. Go ahead, rephrase it. Mr. Mulder then says, let me see if I can, perhaps put it a little bit more artfully. Do you think she, does it sound unusual to you that she bruised both arms in different instances? Mr. Shook then says, judge, again, that's speculation. The court says, well, I'll let her answer if she knows the answer. 
The witness then says, I think it's possible that the bruises occurred at different times. Mr. Mulder then says, okay, it's just a big coincidence, right? Well, I don't know. I guess it's also a possibility that they occurred at the same time. Well, I guess it's possible. The court then says, anything else? Mr. Mulder then says, I believe that's all for now. Thank you. All right, everybody, before we say goodbye, let's quickly revisit what we've talked about today because this has been a lot of information. The first thing that I wanted to talk about is as I was going through these and listening to these and reading these, um, there were a few things that stuck out in my head personally. Uh, one of the first things was let's talk about Chris Wilgus. He was the ICU nurse. He was the first one in this particular podcast to testify. And he said that Darlie was very alert after surgery. He said that she stated to him, how could anyone do this to my children? And at one point, she stated that she had picked up the knife and worried about obscuring the fingerprints on the knife. The Chris, the nurse, had not asked her about it. She just simply offered this information. When the police came in, he did say that, yes, he had given her some pain medication, but he had only given her half of the amount of the dose that she would have normally received because he knew that the police were coming in to question her. They came in in plain clothes. And according to him, the police were there questioning her for about 50 minutes to an hour. We find out that um, I believe it was Phyllis Jackson, the Baylor Police Department corporal or Jody Kotner, the trauma coordinator who stated this. But they had said that the officers were likely only there for about 30 minutes. So there's a, a little bit of a discrepancy there. And of course, there's quite a few people in the room as the police are questioning her. So, you know, you're getting differing stories from everyone. They're kind of similar, but they're a little different kind of when everybody, you know, witnesses the same kind of car accident, everybody will have a, a different idea as to what it was that they saw. But according to the ICU nurse, Chris, um, he said that he had heard and she had told the police that she had been laying, she being Darlie, laying on the couch and had to fend off an attacker while she laid there, that the guy had run out into the garage and she ended up picking up the knife and she shouldn't have, that he was wearing a dark baseball cap, a dark t-shirt, jeans, and that his build was similar to Detective Frosch. Now, here's the thing is that, and I found this kind of interesting and I'm wondering if this is potentially leading somewhere. Chris, this ICU nurse, then said that the officers asked her if anything was stolen and she had said no. And then evidently, Darlie went into a description of the jewelry, um, very descriptive that she had on the counter. And Chris, the nurse, said he felt that she went into great detail about the jewelry. Now, this is not the only time that we're going to hear, obviously, even in just this particular podcast from all of these witnesses that testified about Darlie's potential 
attachment, maybe for lack of a better word, uh, to this jewelry. The last thing that I wanna point out about Chris in particular is that when he was asked if Darlie had blood on her hands, he said that there was blood on her fingers and her hands and that it was dried blood. Now, when we get to Phyllis Jackson, who is the corporal in the uh, Baylor Police Department, she is absolutely 100% sure that Darlie's hands are not bloody. She said that Darlie was holding up her hands when she was talking about the rings. And again, there's the rings reference and there was no blood on them. Now, Jody Kotner, the trauma coordinator said that yes, Darlie had blood on her cuticles and on the palms of her hands. So let's go. So there's a three or at least two people are saying, yes, she did. And one person says, no, she didn't. Uh, so let's go back to Phyllis Jackson. Uh, remember, she's part of the Baylor Police Department. Now, when she speaks, this is the first time that we hear about Darren at the hospital. And she specifically says that he's downstairs in the family room near the emergency room. And that at that time, he had on jeans and a white t-shirt. Phyllis is the one that took Patterson and Frosch, the two detectives, to Darley's room. And of course, we already know that Chris Wilgus, the ICU nurse, was there, as well as Sheila Jackson, who was the night administrator, also in the room. Now, on a side note, I was curious if the name Sheila Jackson showed up in any of the upcoming transcripts, and I could not find her name. So hopefully we'll find out why she wasn't called because uh, obviously she was there with everybody else. So Phyllis uh, stayed in the room for some time. She was in and out. Uh, she could hear parts of the conversation that Darlie was having with the police. She too said that Darlie was awake and oriented and answering questions. Um, she heard Darlie say that she awoke with a man on top of her and that it was a white male, shoulder length, dark colored hair, wearing a ball cap and that they struggled. And as he fled, she picked up a knife and chased him to the garage area. And this was something new to me about why Darlie was sleeping downstairs where she was. And she had stated to the officers right there in the uh, hospital room that she had been sleeping downstairs because she recently had been restless and didn't want to wake up Darren in the middle of the night. Now, Darlie said that Darren had come to the top of the stairs after this whole situation occurred and then came downstairs and again talked about her rings and this is of course Phyllis's observation Darlie talked about her rings and gave descriptions of them she was again asked about the description of the subject uh she said that the reason the window in the garage had even been opened in the first place was because the cat was in heat. And to put this in perspective, there is a very large cat cage on the right of the window that was open in the garage. So that's where that kind of comes into play. And then we further find out from Phyllis that uh, Sheila wanted to get a really good idea about the potential for media attention on this case. And she also needed to go get Darren a set of scrubs 
to wear. Now, the reason that they had to get Darren some kind of scrubs to wear, or at least a different change of clothes, was because the police officers wanted Darren's clothing. And lastly, let's talk a little bit about Jody Kotner, who was the trauma coordinator who had a conversation with Darley while Darley was in the ICU. And she was the last one to testify in this particular podcast. She was asked, you know, what she heard Darley say. And when Darley was asked if she remembered what had happened to her, she said, her and her sons had been stabbed and that she had chased a gentleman out through the garage and had picked up a knife. Now, a later conversation, Darley told her that she had woken up because one of her children, Damon, was shaking her saying mommy or mama or something like that. She realized, Darley realized that she had been hurt and went into the kitchen and Damon had followed her. So she told Damon to lay down. At this same time, Darren is in the room and he said, that's when I must have heard you scream or I heard you screaming and it woke me up. And Darley turned around and said, no, you didn't. So that was really interesting. I'm kind of curious as to see where that conversation goes. And if you've listened to this entire thing, you know darn well that they focused a lot on the bruising on Darley's arms. Uh, these bruises literally run from underneath her armpits all the way underneath her arms to her wrists. And they are huge. Um, it almost looks like somebody just took dark purple paint and just swiped the whole bottom portion of her, her arms all the way to her wrists. So according to Jody, Jody Connor, uh, she believes that this bruise on Darley's arm, uh, specifically the one on her right arm, was about 24 to 48 hours old and considered it a new bruise. Uh, she also considers that it came from blunt trauma. She said newer bruises are reddish and purple, older ones are green and yellow. She said that it could be from the arterial line that was placed when Darley went into surgery. Um, but she also states that she believes the bruising on her arms on both her right and left arm had occurred at different times. Now, on a personal note, one of these states exhibits photos um, actually shows a date at the bottom of it, and it says June 10th. Now, at this point, the bruise is red and purple. If the bruise happened 24 to 48 hours earlier, this would put the date of this bruise on about the 8th. So about two days earlier on the 8th. And I believe, could be wrong, but I'm pretty fairly certain that this is the same day that she got out of the hospital as well. So did something happen to her while she was out of the hospital? I'm curious uh, as to how this is also going to play out, but boy, did they spend a lot of time on this, this bruising. Again, the... Uh, prosecution especially focuses on Darley's lack of emotion when it comes to the loss of her children and especially when it comes from being able to hold Drake when he's brought into the room. So those are my, you know, two cents 
for what it's worth. But uh, what we're going to get into next time in regards to the trial is we are going to hear from two nurses, Diane Holland and Paige Campbell. And again, these also happen on the same day um, as the other ones. This has been a long day of testimony with with a total of nine witnesses testifying on this day. And this is on January 9th of 1997. So as soon as we're finished with Diane Holland and Paige Campbell in the next episode, we'll then move on to January 10th of 1997, where the first document is a is the uh, defense motion for a mistrial. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. I truly, truly appreciate it. It uh, it takes a lot of work to get one of these together. And um, I appreciate you sticking around and listening to all of these different testimonies and stories and ghost stories and true crime stories. If you do like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe or follow the Beach House 34 podcast on your favorite podcasting platform or on YouTube, wherever it is that you listen. And lastly, if you have a case that you would like to hear about or any thoughts on today's episode, please just reach out on social media. I'd be very happy to hear from you. Would love to hear some ideas, um, thoughts about this whole trial that's been happening or just any true crime or, or paranormal stories that you'd like to hear about. So until then, we'll talk very, very soon. Thank you. Thank you. Above all, be good to each other.